back to another episode of Collector's Quest. I'm Tyler here with Johnny and Stefan. Guys, 200 episodes that Johnny's been on. <laughs> 200 speed yeah, mails. Woo. woo. Wow, that yeah, was really our celebration 200. for uh, being one of the most regular game collecting podcasts of all time. You know who else is really regular <laughs> on this podcast? <laughs> Tyler, tell them about your prune fetish. I don't understand. <laughs> Why did <laughs> I was specifically not recording the before show because I'm like, well, good thing no one has to listen to this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I eat prunes. They are relatively nutritious and calorie dense for a snack that does not cost a lot of money. Okay. We were, so, guys. We were, <laughs> we were making up this scene, uh, Johnny and I, uh, like this d- dramatic scene for his biography about how he has to make a make a hot choice between crackling oat bran and and uh, prunes, and then in a moment of high drama, he decides to uh, to put the prunes on the crackling oat bran. And and Tyler was away, and then he comes back right when we're talking about that, and he's like, "Oh, I would try that." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, obviously. Why not? It's just like, a big it- raisin. If you don't know anything about Tyler, know this. He loves his fiber. Loves it. How much fiber can he get? How regular can he make his pooping? He's also simultaneously the youngest and oldest of us. Yeah. So, like, yeah, if you don't know, this is part of the old Tyler's old series. Um, Yeah. So, totally on brand. Prunes. uh, Him telling me he was chilling prunes in his fridge was the least shocking thing I will hear today. I was like, and that's what started the premise. I'm like, Tyler, if I was writing a book about you, I would definitely put, uh, and it would be, you know, out of my imagination, but it would be something about the prunes that you contain in your refrigerator because I would believe and also know that it is true. (laughs) And that is the proper way to celebrate episode 200. Yep. Man. Okay. Staying regular, just like this podcast. 200 episodes every Woo. other week-ish. Woo! Uh, man, Except remember when we tried to do... I tried to put out... There was a short time where we did them weekly, which, thinking okay. back, yeah, is that, insane, but that, also the episode length has gotten a lot longer. But then we tried to do, like, three a month, and even that, it was just... It's an awkward schedule. It was just the word. No, no, we, we have a nice groove here. This is... We figured it out. It only took us... <laughs> yeah. 106 episodes <laughs> to figure it out or whatever. I like my so, groove where I just get to come by occasionally and for the fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, Stefan, you want to edit some episodes occasionally no. and just like uh, take the I, load off? No, I really off. don't. Nope. Sure. Tyler, don't. do you do you want anyone else to edit an episode? I, I really don't. I'm a control Same. freak, so let me. edit There have everything. been several times when we tried reasonably diff- reasonably a lot to uh, get you to, uh, to 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 let someone else. We we're gonna like pay people several yeah, we times. were going to use the patreon money to pay for an editor but a lot of the things i edit out are like oh we said something like or something clearly super duper wrong about video games and there's no way like a fiverr editor is going to know like what facts we got wrong and i like i like going back and listening to that stuff you need you need yeah. the experts and you know we are self-acclaimed experts because we are said we are, are, are um i don't know that we are i mean I'll say we are ish. We're 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 dudes on a podcast. That's for sure. I think you know what. I think I know enough to know how much I don't know, and that's like the hallmark of an expert. Uh, Like I can say, like I feel like I know nothing, so that makes me like pretty good. I'm not gonna like say definitive statements about things because I know that's too much information. 
The it's everyone who's ever been overconfident, like the the guy you find on YouTube who is like, you know, thumping his own chest. That guy is always the wrongest guy on the internet. Yeah. Every time I thought I figured it out, like I thought I was doing pretty good at Xbox and then I just threw up my hands and I'm like, everything's a noble. We can't we can't do anything. Video games are a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) It's like they weren't created in an orderly structure for other people to collect. I think now they are like intentionally made disorderly. They're like, here's the limited run release and the play Asia release and the Best Buy release and the day one edition. And they're just trying to make it like as confusing as possible. So everyone feels like they get the edition they want. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it doesn't matter. That, that's all just marketing. They're just like, how do we sell more games, and how do we, how do we try and convince people to buy early? Like, and everyone's like, oh yeah, I got that day one release, but that one probably has the most prints, so the rarest one is probably not the day one release. Nope. Going back to collecting for Xbox. Uh, yeah, the day one stuff is not the hard stuff to find. It's the random fucking platinum edition shit. Oh yeah, but I mean, uh. What is it? The Xbox One launch games are all day one editions with shiny foil covers. Got to go get those. That's a cool set. I mean, that is a cool set, but man, do I not care about the Xbox One, so I'm not going to get that set. All right. I'd like to uh, I'd like to give a shout out to the RF Generation Collector Cast, which has been continuously running for over 10 years and still, as far as I know, is the only podcast that's uh, dedicated to game collecting uh, running longer than Collector's Quest without a break. Um, so that's super cool. And then, uh, there's some we lost along the way. Uh, the, the North American retro collective, Johnny, that was one I listened to a lot. They became dollar dorks, which also fell off. And I know some of the people who made this podcast are listening to the show. Uh, any other game collecting podcast you want to shout out, Johnny? Um, that don't exist anymore. Yeah. The the ones we lost along the way. Nah, I don't have any others. You, you took the one I would have said, which was NARC. There's the there's a newer one. There was the hunt, which was like dedicated to sealed and graded stuff, but that oh, hasn't had an yeah. episode in like almost a year. Uh, yeah, there was Dan's podcast. Yep. Uh, there's the unlockable podcast by Bird Dog Gaming. Listens to collectors quest. He's a Patreon. That one's still going. That one's st- that one's still going, and um, that's only like a year old, I think, though. But you know, if you get past ten episodes in a podcast, most people like fall off pretty quick on the podcast train. So yeah, well, and like the hunt, like that. Dan was going hard for oh, that like dude was making a like an episode every two days. He was like, yeah, he was doing an episode every few days, and then and then he's like, nope, no, I'm done. <laughs> like, <laughs> like my brain is out credit, of ideas. I, I put them all out. It's right, but also to his credit, he did like tie, try to tie it up at the end too. He didn't just stop making them. He like he was like, nope, this is my last episode. Hey, you guys want a fun fact? I, I and I'm not sure if this is true, but we'll we'll have to double check. But uh, fun fact: I think I killed Narc. I think I was their last guest, and I you think were. I was the last guest on Dan's podcast too. What? So I <laughs> murdered them dead. So I think like Narc Murdering came back after like dead. a year or two and had like a special episode, and it's like we're gonna maybe come back and do irregular episodes, and then you were on it, and then they're like, yeah, we're not gonna do this. <laughs> the Grim Raper of podcasts, Johnny. <laughs> Uh, who, who's that person? God, there, um, it's a lady and is it, is it the girl from, it's not the girl from weeds. Uh, God, she, like the minute she shows up on a podcast, the podcast ends or not a podcast, like a TV sitcom. That's a sign that's over. There's like a girl that's like that and a guy. And I forget whenever they get cast on a show, that means the show is over. They, it's like, it's like the Madden curse. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was just, it's just a sign that that means the show is over. Um, 
when they try to bring in these other people. Anyways, so it'll come to me later. But yeah, I'm apparently I'm that person for video game podcasts. So um, there's some people who want me on their podcast right now, and maybe they should reconsider. Hey, I mean, you've been on <laughs> this your, is own your podcast. stealth way of getting. This is your stealth way of getting out of having to guest on other people's podcasts. You're, uh, I mean, you're like, I'm, I, look, guys, I'm happy to, but have you, uh, have you seen my, have you seen uh, my, my track, track record? record? Yeah, I'm 100% for murdering a podcast that isn't my own. <laughs> uh, Johnny, we were speaking about this the other day, uh, but I subscribe to all these stupid collectibles and speculation podcasts about things like Pokemon cards and Fortnite cards and, uh, you know, sports cards and things. I don't, to be clear, I don't collect any of these. I just find like, the people who get really serious about finance in like little pieces of cardboard, like their minds are just really interesting to me. And I'm saying like, look at my, like my stuff that I collect, like I'm collecting uh, plastic cardboard and silicon. It's not like I have any, uh, any real hill to stand on here. Like 90% of them stopped after mid 2021 last year. And I, I only like kind of just realized it. Cause one of the main ones I listened to, which was uh the geeked out collecting podcast. They just had uh, their last episode. They, uh, the girl who runs it said like, Hey, this is the last episode. And then I went back and looked at all the other ones. I don't listen to as much. And all of them ended in 2021. Cause that's when the free money stopped rolling in. So all of a sudden yeah. it wasn't fun to talk about like Pokemon cards anymore. And I yeah, just thought that was Your hobby is not 10 Xing every day. Right? Then you don't want to talk <laughs> about it. It's like, Oh, this isn't my hobby anymore. Cause I can't use it to pay my bills. So I need a new hobby. <laughs> yeah. Cool. It, it, it is a shame that so many of them just died right there. But also, we probably didn't need those. Uh, that's uh, that's nature's way of keeping only the right amount of podcasts. <laughs> Natural podcast selection. Yeah. When Johnny is not nature's arbiter. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm, I'm the grim reaper of podcasting <laughs> comes to your show. <laughs> I, I kind of li- I kind of like that as a title, the Grim Reaper of Podcast. That's very funny to me. But you have a long running podcast. It I know. Make any which sense. no, like it that that's that's the funny part. Like hey, he, I he can only for his own. Yeah. I can only exist here if I go out. Like I find a way to murder your show, dude. To and I steal your power and then strengthen our show. That's it's that's a, what I do. <laughs> this is the holodeck of your podcasts. Yeah. You can only exist got, within this podcast. Yeah, I, no, I just I like the idea that I go out and I drain them of their podcast energy to put back into uh, our show, and that's why we're at episode two hundred. That's right. That's how been, we got here. You've been sucking the life force of all these other yeah, podcasts. So, so someone get me on your podcast soon because we're at episode two hundred and we need a refill. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Do we want to get into episode two hundred, Johnny? The big one, the one everyone is people have been waiting for. So you want to collect NES part two? No. Uh, so you want to collect GameCube? I think the one people are actually waiting for. Probably. So you want to collect GBA? Because oh my god, do we have a lot of people who are into GBA who listen to this podcast? Yeah, we we're doing it right. Um, you know that's not even on our list. I don't think. So you want to collect it GBA? Is. It one hundred percent is. Okay, I but I mean, it's list. not something I've been thinking about. Like, oh, in the future, uh, we're going to be doing this soon because not- I think we're going to do GameCube first. It's not in the episode idea doc, but it is in the so you want to collect doc uh, that I have independent of that. Okay. There was a, there's a, a forum thread on video game stage right now on like what you think the hardest uh, set to collect would be. And I think- It better not be GameCube. 
No, no. I think 2,600 kind of wins. It was like, what's the most intimidating set to collect? And 2,600 wins because no one tries to go for a full set because there are games that only have one copy. So everyone just literally gives up before they start. They're like, oh, there's only one copy. Well, I can't do it. Sure. You could do it. If you threw that guy $500,000, he would sell you the game. So what? Are you just a bitch? Video game collecting is not hard. It's just expensive. But then the, the default next answer is Neo Geo AES. And like, what does the Neo Geo AES have? 13 games and they come in like hard plastic cases and oh, boo hoo, the average price of a game is $1,000, but there's not that many of them. Like the one that I would immediately go to is GBA because you're getting a thousand cardboard box games and half of them were exclusively owned by children. So man, I think GBA collectors are crazy. (laughs) Yeah, thrown out by GameStop, uh, you know. There, there's systems that are super like yeah modern that then Game Gear is also really hard um, for a complete oh, yeah. box original Game Boy also very hard Game Boy Color like all all these all the portable systems are hard by the nature of what they were um, DS and 3DS are kind of uniquely hard in the same they have kind of the same thing going that GBA did is. A lot of those doubles that became the GameStop era of games. And at some point in the life cycle of GameStop during GBA, they said, we're not keeping boxes anymore. We're only going to keep this cart. And all the boxes went away. So, yeah. I mean, there's also a lot of weird production run stuff going on with all, all these systems where, like, does it count? Does, like, just, is it real? Isn't it real? Yeah, GBA is hard. So um, not, but there's I'm a not, lot of people, and it's also the size of the of the library too. That's the other thing it has going for it. Yeah, I think like the Game size Boy is, is hard, what makes it intimidating. People don't want to collect complete in box cardboard box sets of a thousand games. No, it, I mean that's more than Super Nintendo or Nintendo. So yeah. gross. And you know, what? I'm I'm not dissing GBA. I genuinely think it's one of the best platforms that's ever been made. But I think there is a a certain like prestige and drive that drives like crazy people to collect complete in box NES and super Nintendo sets. And you have to be a little bit crazier to spend all that effort and money on GBA, knowing that it's not going to be like the set that makes you like on top of collecting mountain by having like a complete in box NES set. It's like, Oh, yeah, you have a full GBA no set. You're out of your mind. <laughs> also that set has a, a glut of shovelware too. So there's that. And I feel like, so I'm not super familiar with GBA, but I know, like, I'm definitely familiar with Game Boy, and I know all the rare games, and everyone knows all the rare games. So they're kind of picked out and priced accordingly, but I'm just going to guess that out of whatever 900 US GBA games there are, that there are a bunch of rare games that just no one cares about, so they don't show up. So even though you you would have the money to buy them, it's just like, well, I can't buy this stupid Super Volleyball game or whatever that game is. Ultimate Beach Volleyball, is that it? I feel like GBA was really at the, like, when entertainment at large, like, all got together and decided that, like, video games was just a, like, regular piece of their marketing push for whatever thing that they were doing, that, like, GBA was was there when that, when that was on the ground floor. So, like, it really, like, there's, because, I mean, I was at Disney during the GBA cycle, right? And uh, we did a, a lot of shovelware on the GBA because it was really easy and cheap to do. Um, so, yeah, there's just, like, a lot of stuff that no one cares about. And it, it's really interesting because all those games came out and it was like, here it is, it's for GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. And then all of those games had a GBA version. And the GBA version is exclusive because yeah. it's always different. 
So, uh, well, not it, not if you're Guinness Book of World's Record because it has the same name. So clearly, it's the same game. <laughs> what are you? Are you? Is that how they count video games? They they did, yeah. And I don't know if they wound up refining that, but they're like, yeah, if it's got the same title, it doesn't count. And you're just like, you don't understand. <laughs> same title doesn't mean same. <laughs> so games. what they looked at like Temple of Doom on NES, and they're like, this is one video game. Yep. I mean, what are they going to do? They're Guinness. They're not going to get into the nuance of all this bullshit. They don't. I mean, they, they don't care about they being don't right. Actually care. They need to yeah. sell some books. It's true. <laughs> also, right, well, there's, there's my GBA change... tangent. Anyway, yeah, what are we yeah. talking about? And John? there's my Guinness tangent. Uh, uh yeah. What? So now that all Chris. these all these people who are hyped about possibly talking about GBA <laughs> or GameCube, GBA stop prunes. It. Yeah, stop. We're not doing that. That's <laughs> not what we're doing. Apologies. We'll get to that somewhere north of the episode 200. Um, but what we are doing is we're going to look back at goals as this show has changed, you know, since its inception from me and Kat doing like 25 to 35 minute episodes where it was basically just like a list of like, hey, here's some cool stuff I thought about telling you guys about that you could go and collect to, uh, you know, in-depth whatever it is that Tower and Stefan and I do now. Like, let's do a bunch of research on shit no one cares about. Um, you know, to sell you want to collects. We're, we've changed. The podcast has changed. It's evolved over 200 episodes. And one of our favorite topics is goals. So we thought it would be interesting to go back and like kind of reflect a little bit since we hit episode 200, what our goals were when we came in and started and then what they've evolved to now. Because all of us are in... Uh, I would say pretty much different places from where we started. Um, when at least when we entered this podcast, for sure. So that's what we're doing today. We're we're talking about goals and how they've changed and why they've changed and uh, what the plan is going forward and what we would have done differently. Even though when yeah. you look back on situations like this, it's like, yeah, but if I told myself that ten years ago, I wouldn't have listened to myself. So yeah. I oh, couldn't sure. have done anything different. What would I have done differently? I would have spent even more money. <laughs> and I then, mean that too, right? Like, what was yeah. I doing? I bought a car in like 2012, dude. You could have went and bought Nintendo games with that money. <laughs> Kept yeah, driving the yeah. Mercury Mystique. And does that make sense? Like, we're so, I would have spent more money. And then, uh, if we fast forward to 10 years where everything is uh, dead and no games are no longer cared about because the economy has crashed and, uh, you know, I don't know, we're a ruined nation at that point or something, uh, and games have no value, we're like, I would have spent less money on games. So, who knows? Everything is uh, of the time. So, you only know what you know in the time, but le let's try to pinpoint something and be wrong as usual. <laughs> Yay! All right, Johnny, how do we want to uh, do this? Uh, how do we want to structure this? So I, I could probably set up my periods in game collecting into like three or four areas. Do we want to go like each of us in turn go over like how we started out early and then like middle and end? Or do we want to do one person at a time? No, you go. Yeah, let's keep it one person at a time. You'll break in and then we can kind of talk about what you did like well steph and i can have questions for you and then we'll we'll rotate through all right that sounds good who's who's starting johnny you are i'm starting wow okay yay um nintendo uh, as i've said many times on the show nintendo is the one who put me on this horrible path of ruining my no, life it isn't. by game becoming gears. a game collector game gear is the one who put you on this horrible well path. that that defined <laughs> my taste johnny is here to correct your own history God, yeah <laughs> uh so i started collecting not when the Wii came out, when the virtual console was announced. And it was $5 per NES game. This was like 2005. 
uh, maybe early 2006, but they, it was $5 per NES game. Absolute ripoff. Like NES games were still at GameStop, I think. Like there was the tail end of it and they were all like a dollar. Uh, and like flea markets and everything. No one was paying more than $2 for a real NES game. I mean, people obviously were, but that's what that. So I felt like the more NES games I could acquire, the more I could stick it to the man. So really my, my whole impetus, my whole goal was to just acquire as many NES games as possible. And this was an era before I was like even good at games or really put effort into playing games. So if I played one of these games and like, I couldn't beat like the second level the first time I would just shut it off and be like, Oh, this game, this game sucks. I'm going to go back to playing rescue Rangers. And like my my mindset has completely flipped on that now. Like now I want a game where I could sit down and I have to memorize things and get good at it. But basically, if I couldn't beat a game the first time I sat down and played it when I first started collecting NES, I I didn't want to beat it. That's pretty weird. Um, and then the challenge I guess, didn't drive you. What's that? So weird. The challenge didn't drive you. That I find that no, weird. not at all. It was the opposite. I because I was I was just trying to beat as many games as possible, and the easiest way to do that was to beat easy games, Johnny. But yeah, but see, like, that's so counterintuitive to me because like, yeah, you beat games like and to do that, there should be some challenge there. Right. So you're like, ah, I have to get good. Like, and you're just like, nah, it's hard. Like you're you you didn't want to acquire any of the skill. You just like, let's just check a box. I mean, oh, wait, that's video game collecting. I mean, so I, I grew up on on like NES and Genesis as a as a young kid, but then I had more experience with games like N64 and GameCube. And I guess those weren't the era where like games completely take you on the rails, but it was really hard to get stuck to the point where you're just like, oh, I can't beat this game once we get into like the late 90s and 2000s. And I'd say that's pretty common if you're really not going to put an effort into like an NES game. There are <laughs> plenty of games where it's like, oh, I can't beat this game. I feel that way with Mike Tyson's punch out now. And yes, it's still on my list. I'm going to play it this year. I'm going to try to beat it this year. But the reason I haven't beat it is because I hit the difficulty wall. And it's like, shit, I can't beat this game. Uh, and that just didn't happen with the, the more contemporary games I was playing at the time. So I just basically gave up immediately. The first sign of resistance, like literally the first game over, I just take a game out and never play it again. <laughs> I was the huh. biggest wimp. I mean, huh. especially on NES, because there's so many game overs to be offered. I know, I know. So I literally, like, even like DuckTales, I didn't beat DuckTales when I was a teenager because DuckTales is an easy game, but it's not like a, I'm going to put this in and beat it for the first time, like uh, like a Wacky Races or something game. Sorry if you can't beat Wacky Races the first time you put it in, but that's my example. Uh, <laughs> Minus five subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so after after the, getting into NES, uh, I mean, it was, it was basically just loose NES cartridges. Um, I found like GameTZ.com, uh, DigitPress.com. Uh, what's another? Like Nintendo Age didn't exist yet. Uh, I, I wasn't really on Assembler at this point, but I was. Uh, I got into the collecting scenes, and what was really popular was referring to games by rarity, especially like the Nintendo. Well, when Nintendo Age became a thing, or the DigitPress Rarity Guide, and like once you got to like an R seven, so it was a one to ten scale, one being balls common, ten being like stadium events. And, like, once you got to an R7, that's a pretty uncommon game. Like, I don't know, Gargoyles Quest 2 might be, like, an R7 type game. Uh, or Cowboy Kid might be, like, an R7, R8 type game. And so, I was I was loading up on my $1 and $2 games. I worked at Burger King making, like, $7 an hour. Uh, so, I, I mean, you know, $7 an hour if you're working part-time. You could pick up penny, plenty of games when you go to the flea market. But then my, my goal 
was to get as many uncommon games as cheap as possible, and also 100% quantity over quality. Because the smart thing to do if I was going back, if I really wanted to maximize my dollars, it would be to save up for like the R9, R10, like the super good pieces, which were probably like 200 to $300 or something for the stuff I was going after. But I would look for like Cowboy Kid I got for $5. That's one I vividly remember buying specifically because it had a high rarity value and cost no money. After in this era, I got into video game resale. Uh, so my my average weekend was going out to the garage sales, going out to the flea markets, buying every NES that I found because I could easily flip an NES for 45 bucks. That was free money. Um, and then I dig through games, uh, uh, dig through the bins of NES games looking for rare games. And I specifically remember, so if you look at a bin of NES games, you could tell just by looking at the end labels, what's a three screw and what's a five screw. But when I was like 15 years old, I didn't realize that. So I would pick up every game that I knew had a cool screw variant and look at the screws on the back because I didn't realize that the tops look different. So I'm just an idiot at this point. You're uh, also a weirdo who cared about screws. Yeah. Uh, Nobody cared that. Oh, man, I, I mean, gotta, also... Uh, to interject, sorry, but like, can we all just take a moment to appreciate there was a time in in this world where Tyler was all about selling video games. I know selling things, hundred percent. I funded That's the whole a, hobby by it, going to. It's a Tyler to that markets. we've never known, Johnny. It's a I Tyler know. we've never. It was known. NES, dude. Super Mario Duck Hunt was gold because I knew if I got a Super Mario Duck Hunt, I could charge ten dollars more for an NES bundle, and it would be so much easier to sell because like putting throwing in like an extra controller, throwing in a zapper cost nothing. Like a zapper was that like three dollars. So I just get zappers, I would get two controllers, and he put a copy of Mario Duck Hunt, you could put that shit up for like $60 and someone would buy it. And this was also at the time where I would put in like the shitty Chinese new uh, 72 pins in these consoles and I would call them refurbished, not realizing yet that like I'm actually making the console worse by putting in this super low quality connector. But uh, you, hey, I got that money money. son of a bitch. <laughs> People wanted them. People didn't want uh, an NES unless it was "quote unquote" refurbished back then. Yeah, because they did. They didn't want to see that blink. Right. I yeah. Put that it blink in, it was didn't the, work. The devil. Yeah, and if you sold something that blinked, then you were going to get a message say, this doesn't work, and you're like, you got to blow in the game and push it down just slightly on the edge. Don't jam it down too hard, and it'll work. I. I got eBay, so I would sell NES games, and I got eBay returns for games that I knew worked, and I would get them back in the mail, and they would work. I thought I was getting scammed, and then I would get it back in the mail, and it's like, oh, this guy must have just had a shitty NES, yeah. and like I, pr I probably could have cleaned the games better or something, but still, like, there were stupid buyers out there who didn't know, like, NES is a, is a shitty system that you kind of have to tinker with to make it work sometimes. I'm sure that is still happening to people today, honey. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, that is not sure. changed. No, Johnny, yeah. no one plays their games. Come on, what are you talking about? That's I'm sure it happens even more with, like, those clone consoles, because that's a crapshoot. You know, you don't, you don't know if it's because the fucking the the hardware is genuinely crap, or if, like, your game is dirty, or if, like, whatever. It's, it's, it's just all, it's all a crapshoot. Um... Yeah, and I was at this time. I was definitely uh, looking for games like Contra, uh, Tyson's Punch Out, and Super Tecmo Bowl, or Tecmo Super Bowl, because I could go out literally every Saturday, and I would find one of those, Johnny, and those were worth fucking twenty dollars cart only. Also, 20, this time twenty twenty dollars for a cartridge. It was like f free money. It was like finding gold because they would they would cost and they me like shipping. Three bucks. 
and shipping was like two dollars and stamps. Oh, less. Were... It was like a dollar fifty one for a bubble mailer. Back yeah, then. Tyler, yeah. did you yeah. mention what year this would be? It was like two thousand six, like maybe. Okay. Um. Yeah, and so I told you like I was looking for like screw variants and uncommon games. Like this entire time where I was going out literally every weekend, I never found anything good. All my best deals ever in my life were from eBay or buying stuff on forums. <laughs> Uh, so that tells you, like, even when it was literally, like, my part-time job to resell video games during an era where you could find good deals on stuff, I never found anything good. And I was going out every single weekend. <laughs> so good Sounds luck if right. you still do that today. Uh, you might hit the jackpot. I don't know. I don't know. People still find things. I don't deals understand how it happens. are still out there. And then, so shortly after this, I went to college, and I got really into playing every video game. And I don't mean, like... uh like every major release i mean like there were a few enough video games that i thought like what if i just play every important video game that's ever come out and like rank them all i had a list of every i made a list of every game i played and i ranked them all from best to worst so i'd play a game and i'd be like hmm, oh is this better than tetris but worse than metal gear solid 2 i don't know uh it was a it was a crazy and stupid time in my life, but uh, I'm so glad you were like that because I, I was the same. <laughs> it was I, like, really weird, d- just like writing down paper lists and just being like, "Let's see, yeah. uh, where would I rank this thing?" Because I'm a fucking maniac. Yeah, like, where were my lists going? Like I did this with TV shows and movies too. I'm like, "Who is this for? Who? Why am I doing this, insane person?" Like completely incomparable games, like Pong. Like I've played like actual Pong arcade cabinets, so Pong was somewhere on that list, and then above pong would be like iden chronicles on n64 it's like how did i decide that this is the order this makes no sense uh like no this seems right i think i've i think i've nailed it here i we can move on so i had uh i think i was big into rfgeneration.com that was what i was using to track my games at this point and they broke your collection down into sets based on console, like almost everybody does. And then they would show you the percentage of each set you have. And I don't know, there were like, a, you know, like a dozen consoles that actually mattered at this point. And so I wanted everything. I'm like, what if I just got every video game? And GameStop was selling older disc games for like 3 to $5. Like good stuff, like Metroid Prime, Metal Gear Solid 2, like Knights of the Old Republic. You can get this stuff for nothing. Because after a game was a couple years old... People didn't want it anymore. And now, uh, now it's like The Last of Us is just coming out again for $60. And I don't, I don't want to get off on a tangent 70, on that, but people $70. did not care about older games in this era. So I'd, I'd, I was loading up on everything. Uh, it was, uh, my life was a disaster. It was games of all different levels of completeness because I didn't care about like conditions super a lot. I would have just loose NES games and broke games with uh, Saturn games with broken cases and, you know, GameCube games with uh, GameStop stickers on them. I did not care because it made that number of how many video games I own go up. It was like, oh, I broke a, a thousand video games. It's all just like this busted stuff from GameStop. And <laughs> you were a Reddit collector. Oh, my God. It was uh, it was. Yeah, my collection sucked. But I thought it was the coolest guy. I had, I think I had like 1,500 games at this point, And I thought it was the coolest fucking guy. I was like, holy shit, I have 1,500 video games. And, it, you know, it's, I had, so, I think I had Hurricanes on Super Nintendo. That was a cool one. But, like, I didn't have anything good. It was just, like, garbage. I did that for a long time. Uh, and then in, like, 2012 or so, I took a break uh, from game collecting because I was getting into competitive pinball and arcade games and uh, dance games at this point. 
And I, I wasn't smart about collecting these either. So my goals here sucked because I wasn't like, what are my favorite pinball machines? And what are my favorite arcade games? Which is exactly what I would do now. And I would be like, all right, if we're going to get arcade games in my 600 square foot apartment, we're going to have to be very choosy about what we want. So what are we going to get? We're going to get OutRun 2, which is maybe my favorite arcade game of all time. And we're going to get like maybe a dance machine, like a, a pump it up. And then like, I, I don't know, a Twilight Max Zone. 400 square feet. Yeah, that's What's up? 500 square. How oh, I, I mean, I, I already had resigned myself that like, I was going to be living in arcade games because my apartment was so small. <laughs> but that's not that's not what I did. I got the first Pump It Up machine that came up for sale, which was the one at the local arcade, which was like almost the oldest one ever made. And it didn't even have a screen. It had a TV sitting on top of the cabinet because the CRT broke at some point. Oh, it was a total piece of shit. And I overpaid for it. And like the, the manager of the arcade could not believe that I was paying as much as I did. It was like $1,500 for this piece of shit. And uh, like I went to the arcade auction and they had games like games that I knew for sale, like Silent Scope and Area 51. And going into arcade collecting now, like Silent Scope is literally a game that I bought, I played once, and I never played it ever again. And that game is fucking huge. It's so big. And I have no room in my apartment. I have this Silent Scope machine that I've played once because Silent Scope isn't a replayable game. <laughs> and I just didn't, I did not consider what would be a fun arcade game to actually own. And, you know, I I wonder if people buying these arcade one-up uh, machines do the same thing. Because I see a game like uh, like The Simpsons or Turtles in Time, and my best memories of playing something like uh, The Simpsons, I was at the arcade uh, in the 90s at, like, a friend's birthday party. We would quarter-feed our way through to the end. We didn't care how good we were. And then I would forget about that game for like three years until we did the same thing again. Because I, I'd, I'd never like go back and play the, the Simpsons over again because like, oh, I already, I already did that. And I, I didn't care about getting good because I didn't care about beat-em-ups. Yeah, I, I guess my big mistake with arcade and pinball machines is I was, I was definitely buying what, whatever was available at the arcade auction rather than really taking my money, taking my space into consideration and buying what I actually wanted. Uh, because especially with arcade games that take up a ton of room and are big and heavy and hard to move around and sometimes can be hard to resell if it's not the really desirable stuff, I would definitely rather have one game I actually wanted than five games that were available. Your collection sounds like the grossest. Yeah, this was, yeah my collection sucked for a long time. It, it basically only got good in the, the past, like, eight years. I don't think, I didn't have any sets or anything at this point, because, I mean, sets, sets were still expensive and everything. Like, I was, I was working minimum wage, so I didn't have uh, money to get a full set of anything. Uh, I was out of the scene for maybe four years, and then 2016, I remember, I came back, and so 2012 Wait, is where, when- what, Where was this collection during the time when you when you stepped away? I had, you know, I had, like, the shelf. It was, like, uh, okay. a shelf in my bedroom that just had, like, all these freaking video games. And then I think right. also at my parents' house, I might have just, like, kept a bunch of it there, because I'm like, what am I going to do with all these fucking video games? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and now I have like, you know, five times more than I did back then. Uh, so 2016, I came back Tw 2012 to 2016 was like the worst. It was like the apocalypse of video games. Cause it's the first time that prices really started rising a lot. Uh, and so I came in and I went straight into the FOMO because I was panicking. Cause it's like, I'm so used to super Mario brothers three being a $6 game and it never changed the entire time I collected. It was just like, yeah, Mario three, it's a $6 cartridge. It, it's stable. Just like little Samson was the thing we used for stability for a long time. 
Uh, and then all of a sudden, everything is double and triple what it used to be in 2016. So I, I just immediately got into the mindset of, oh my God, prices are going up and they're going to go up forever and they're never going to come back down. Uh, so I panicked and I completed all the sets that I had like like started and just been like, oh, I could just like pick at, pick away at these a little bit and maybe I'll finish it one day. I'm like, oh my God, I got to finish these now or I'm never going to do it again. Uh, so like loose NES, uh, N64 and complete Genesis over the next couple years are what I really focused on. And I mean, that's basically what I was doing is just buying games, checking them off lists and and constantly reorganizing my database and figuring out what to do. And I remember I was definitely into card-only games and uh, Eric, Excitebike Games, who probably doesn't listen to the show anymore. I know he would give me shit saying like, Tyler, why are you buying cartridges? Cartridges are dumb. Uh, full sets are dumb. You should be buying complete games. And I didn't listen to him because fuck you, Eric. I'm going to, I want all the video games. <laughs> I mean, I was definitely, uh, even in like 2016, definitely quantity over quality when I was uh, buying games because I felt like I needed to complete my sets. And there's no fucking way. Even now, with like, 2016 prices, I still wouldn't go back to complete an NES set. It's just too much money. It's just too fucking much. And then 2019 is the first time I actually, like, actually thought about my goals and maybe, uh, and I'm only saying this now because they're essentially my same goals. So it's like, oh, Tyler got it right this time because we're in the modern era. And it was still more panicking and FOMO, but everyone was going after, like, people going hard after sealed NES, like 10xing, 100xing what games used to be. And, uh, but they were very focused on NES. So my mindset was, oh shit, they're going to focus on the games I want on N64 and GameCube eventually. And what if I care about sealed games at once? Uh, so I spent a year buying all the sealed video games and all the, uh, historically important video games that were important to me. So, uh, Doom and I got a sealed, uh, Ocarina of Time and I, I loaded up on just bullshit sealed GameCube and Wii and just modern games that cost like 40 bucks each, uh, just in case I ever care about them. Uh, my, I mean, I didn't really have a goal in when this was going to stop. My goal was just like, think about what the crazy people are going to try to make $1,000 next and uh, get that before they do. So I can win. Um... And, you know, a lot of that was me uh, going after, like, first games in series or games that were, like, important to a genre. Uh, but then, like, quickly, because it was 2019, 2020, like, the prices caught up with me. And all of a sudden, like, oh, I don't want to... Even when it gets to, like, $200 for, like, some stupid sealed video game, I'm like, ah, I'm not going to spend $200 on a video game. Uh, and that's when I... And then, then we're at Tyler Now, where I'm going after like history of genres and a lot of computer games and uh, Japanese games. So my goal is basically uh, I want all the building blocks of all the genres I care about. So, uh, I mean, the one I've been going after a lot is computer RPGs. And so you can look at certain games and say like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Temple of Apshai is the first computer of our uh, computer RPG or, you know, uh, uh, Beneath Apple Manor is the first computer RPG or there's there's all these games you could call the first, but I don't I don't want to make any distinction. I'm just saying like okay, I'm collecting computer RPGs. I want all the building blocks of uh, what made a computer RPG. I want all the building blocks of what made a Japanese RPG. I want all the building blocks of what made uh, a platform game. And uh, and 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 you guys, I mean, I've been talking about this for years, so you guys kind of know where I'm at now, right? 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's weird. You're like, and then I only really established goals in 2019, two years after being on this podcast, harping on people to make goals. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I had goals. My goals were completing sets. Uh, when I started getting on the podcast, you know, it was checking uh, the ooze off my Sega Genesis list and being like, guys, it was hard for me to find a nice copy of the ooze. I think the ooze might be the next big thing. Hold on. Price check on the ooze. Let's see. Going to eBay. All right. Whenever you invoke the ooze, we have to check. <laughs> I've invoked okay. it. I'm going to guess $37 complete in box. Whoa, look at these prices. There's even a bunch of them available, and it's like an $80 game. Yep. The, the first collector's quest spec pick, the ooze. <laughs> Uh, now going for like between seventy and a hundred dollars. Holy shit! Yeah, the uh, the nice pretty one. good. I mean, if you're just talking about ROI from when we first started hyping it, like that's a that's a pretty decent spec pick. Yeah, yeah, we I mean, it. we could have picked literally anything, and it would have doubled in I, price I, from when we started talking yeah. about the ooze. No, because we did. Because we've checked the ooze before, and it was not like we're like, oh, it's still thirty five dollars. So we finally did it. The ooze finally made it, guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the, there's there's some pretty nice ones, like really complete and sold listings, and it's like 70, 80. I can't believe how many yeah. copies of the ooze there are, considering this is a game I was like, man, they're really not out there. Like, this game is really available for a game that I thought wasn't out there. Well, yeah, now there's people for the nice ones trying to ask for like over $100 now. That's crazy. How? I mean, all right, I guess people got to complete their sets, but like... When you get to, uh, let's go back to GBA. When you get to GBA, how many people are like genuinely on the path to completing a complete in box GBA set? Because there are so many games you could be like, I'm one of the only two on eBay. So my game, you got to pay 400 bucks for it. But when there's 60 different games in the library that are on that kind of level of rarity, yet no one cares about it. Like who's buying all those games for $400? Everybody in the Collector's Quest Discord. Oh man! Yeah, are you? Guys- oh. No, there, there, there is a dedicated group of GBA guys on the Discord, and uh, yeah, they, they're, you know, they should band together and uh, form a tight group and like refuse to pay high prices and uh, make those prices come down. But nah, I just want to talk about like I'm, I'm going through the GBA uh, room in the Discord. Uh, the last thing people were talking about was Turbo Turtle. They were validating what the seal looked like on a legitimate one because it's a Majesco game and they have shitty Turbo Turtle is hard to find. I yeah, got to make sure your turtle. sealed Turbo Turtle is legit. And then Coffee with Mr. Saturn posted a buy it now for a GBA Dragon Tales Dragon Adventures for only $100. And he said, if you want this, it's going to be hard to find it cheaper. <laughs> And that is factual, man. Can we forget uh, this episode? Can we just talk about GBA and like? I, I'm guys. sure people would love. I would. They would love it if we did. And we have to do a GBA episode, but this we do not have the prep done for that. And Stefan definitely does not want to talk about GBA. I really don't. Yeah, uh, no. All right, super don't. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, he's probably a little interested in Turbo Turtle, but. I was when you say Turbo Turtle, the only thing that it invokes is the uh, the 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 turtle program for the Apple IIe that taught me how to type. Or um, what what is Logos? Was that the name of it, Johnny? Help me out here. I and don't it was know. Like an, it yeah, was like an ever. It was like a little turtle cursor, and you could like give it coordinates, and it would like draw stuff. And it was like in every computer lab in 
like 1988. <laughs> I know half the people who are listening to the show are nodding their head right now. So, yeah, so pro- probably they are. But for me, here's how my typing went. Uh, it's like 1989. I'm taking like my first typing class. It's like eighth grade or something. It might have been 1990. I don't remember. But we were supposed to get computers and I was really excited because I waited a semester because the computers were going to be there. Mm. My middle school did not get computers until 1992. So I was still on, it wasn't like I was on an electric typewriter, like an IBM or anything. I was on an old school, like, I don't know, watching a journalist in, in 1955 type big met, like bust your fingers typewriters. That's what I was using. Not even an automatic return carriage. You had to like grab the bar and manually slap it. It was ridiculous. And I was like, God, I hate this. Who's doing this? And then like, I saw my friends, they had like computers or like an IBM. And you're just like, what the hell am I using? And how badly are schools funded, even in nice areas that we're using typewriters from the fifties. Yep. Uh, and then I didn't go to a school that had the internet until uh, my senior year. So that's how. That's how computers came to me in a upper middle class white neighborhood. Think about that. It's weird. It is weird. Technophobes. Teachers are technophobes. Schools are technologically phobic. They're awful. Anyway, that's uh, that's what I think about when I think about Turbo Turtle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back at uh, how I collected over, uh, how long have I been collecting? What is it, 15 years? Um, I would like 10 years. If you just look at my goals, it was pretty much quantity over quality. And I pretty much fucked up for 10 straight years uh, because I felt like there were so many games that I had to own. But like, you know, you look at NES, it's like, well, I got to own Contra and Zelda and Vice Project Doom. And it it never ends. If you if you try to get every seven out of 10 game or better, like there's an unlimited supply of games that you could get for not a lot of money. But because I did that for 10 years, I didn't get like a single major game that I thought that was like a super collectible, super cool game to own in that entire period of collecting. Because if there was a $100 game that would have been like the best game to have in my collection, I would rather have $25 games. And I know that not $25 games, $25 games. And Man, when you don't have like a ton of games, it is so easy to want the cheaper games because the cheaper games are good. And we talk about it all the time. Go get a copy of God of War 2 on PlayStation 2 while it's still probably a $12 game. But because I didn't have like my long term goals, like what are the games that I would want the most in like my entire life? If, if money was no object, what are the games I would want most? I didn't save up for anything because it was all about getting the the most quantity. And yeah, and even when I like had more direction, when I was really focusing on completing sets, when I came back around 2016, uh, you know, because it was based on sets, like I was, I wasn't getting like the coolest shit that I thought was out there. I was like, well, I need, I need the ooze and I need the, the Bible games on Genesis, which are kind of expensive, even though I don't really want them. Oh, also around that time, I wanted, uh, because I, I I was like putting a limit on myself at 2000 to just kind of keep myself sane. I wanted a set that represented the games of the the 2000s because uh, specifically because like I grew up in that era. I was a teenager in that era. I played a lot of the games and it was the time I was most interested in like following games journalism. And my biggest fuck up was I picked Xbox over PS2 and PS2 would have been 
a lot harder. But Xbox has no exclusives. And my part of my reasoning was like, well, Xbox has the better multi-platform games, so I'll have the best version of the, uh, Prince of Persia Warrior Within. But all those games are on PC too, so it's not even the best version. I'm sorry. Basically, I'm apologizing to all caps for collecting Xbox uh, instead of uh, PS2. Like, I thought I was going to be the Xbox variant guy. This is when I met, like, Dan Gomez on Instagram because he was one of the only people, like, really going deep into, like, stupid Xbox minutia. And then now he became, like, the ultimate sealed modern, uh, knows everything about modern game guys. And I'm over here buying Japanese PC games. We both moved on from Xbox. <laughs> Um, well, thank you for your service on the Xbox. No problem, Johnny. Xbox is a delightful system that a couple of these hosts on the show are familiar with. Stefan, you, you love Xbox so much that you completed it and got rid of it immediately. <laughs> yes, that is exactly uh, how, I, how I decide which sets I'm going to collect. It's 100% about how much I love it and has nothing to do with me just not having the thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, um, when you were getting rid of everything, you love Xbox so much, you were like, I should really keep this, right? Okay. In my defense, I didn't immediately get rid of Xbox. I immediately got rid of GameCube. That is that is what, what happened. Yeah, immediately. Oh, shh. Don't tell the podcast they love GameCube. I know. <laughs> they hate Xbox. They love GameCube. But okay, in my defense, I also had very little invested in that because if you recall, Johnny, I bought like, I don't know, 80% of set, that set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, you did. You, just set. like it came to you, literally delivered to your door. It couldn't have been yeah, easier. Legit. Yeah, walked into my, yeah, walked into my room. Yeah, uh, sure. uh, Stefan, do you want to go over your history of goals and how you spent like 80% of your collecting life collecting sets while realizing that you don't like collecting sets? Uh, yeah. That yeah. I don't like collecting video games? <laughs> <laughs> I hate video. What am I doing? Uh, yeah, this will be a, a lot shorter because uh, I, Tyler was collecting for 10 years before I started collecting. Uh, going back, way back in the day to February of 2016. Um, I actually, uh, the way that I checked this date, Johnny, is I went back and looked for a sex dungeon video. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll get back to that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so, um, you know, I, I tell part of the story kind of a lot. Um, I started really collecting video games hardcore. I mean, I had a shoebox collection for, you know, all of my childhood. But uh, in, in, in earnest, I started collecting when my late wife, Heather, was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I, and that was in, in February ish of 2016. Um, and, um, it was at this point before I had, was known at all for video game collecting, I was very well known for collecting Ninja Turtles. And I had, uh, at the time, this was before the Nickelodeon buyout and it was sort of in a, in a wilderness period for the, the brand. So I had literally every Playmates toy that was ever manufactured. I had literally every variant of every comic book. Like I had, I had reached my definition of done with turtle collecting and uh and and about that same time i you know heather had gotten sick and i was looking for something to sort of help me not think about that all day um and uh and so i was asking these really existential questions about that 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 collection because i i it felt like with like once i hit that definition of done that collection went from being a like this thing that i was and i'm sure some of you at least at least some of you can relate that it, it went from being this like thing that i was growing and nurturing and caring for and it became this thing that was just stagnating in my 
apartment. And uh, so I was asking these really existential questions like, does this collection define me? Because I actually had made, similar to the name that I've made myself in in other, uh, other retro circles now, like I have, ma- I had made a considerable name for myself uh, in in that community as well, the, the toy collecting community. And is, so, is Stefan calling himself a celebrity? What's going on here? Jeff? Yes, <laughs> yes. By that time, I had already been on mu- in multiple turtles documentaries, and in yes. Um, so, uh, so no. So I I had I had really been starting to ask myself these questions, like, does this collection define me, and what I would what would I be without it? Um, and Heather was getting sick and I was looking for something for else to do. And, uh, and so I had just sort of serendipitously pulled out, uh, my shoebox, my shoebox collection of video games. And let's see what was in there. Like Mario three and Mega Man two and, um, DuckTales and, and, uh, Mega Man X and super punch out and Mario world. Just like, you know, it's smattering of, of good titles. Um, and I decided that that's what I was going to 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 try to do is to see see whether or not I could uh, I could start collecting sets of video games as as a thing. Um, and so I was in this period and actually going back a second, I, there was a time when I was working at where was I Disney Interactive Studios uh, in like 2006. Um, and, uh, uh, there was a brief time when me and another coworker had decided that we were going to try to, and I've, I've just recently found these old eBay photos, but, um, we were going to try to put together a, um, a Super Nintendo set and just flip it just like something to do, right? We're just going to put it together and flip it. Um, and, uh, that was back when like Ninja Gaiden trilogy was like the most expensive sought after game on this, uh, on the super. Um, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> so, uh, that, I was way more into it than he was, uh, and so that petered out, and I probably got like three fourths into that into that set and sold it all back on on eBay. But because uh, because again, at that point, it was just like it was we were literally just trying to, something to do together. Um, and so when he du- d- uh, ducked out, so did I. Um, but uh, so anyway, that it's kind of kind of planted the seed in my head of like collecting games as like a thing. Um, so uh, so I decided, hey, this would be something cool to pick back up. So. I started doing that at a at a pretty heavy clip because remember I had this collection that had a significant monetary value right at the time um, that I had no connection to, so I was able to sort of use it as a piggy bank and sort of move fun money into you know in you know, move move money that was already spent on something fun move it into something else that was sp- spent on something fun, um, and so and I was trying to distract myself from this like horrible thing in my life. So I was, you know, living in Southern California, as Johnny can attest, uh, especially especially around that time. Some of them had petered out by now, but like you couldn't throw a rock without hitting a retro store. And so I would be in physically in a different store. I had a loop that I would do seven days a week. And every day I would be, I think for, for at least a week, uh, every week I would be... Um, I would be in a different retro store, like physically, and I would just buy them out, essentially buy them out of, at the time, the first set that I wanted to do was Super Nintendo. So, so, uh, so yeah, I would just buy whatever they had that I didn't have. Um, and, uh, so I did the Super Nintendo set in two and a half months. Uh, that's the dumbest shit you've done in your entire life. (laughs) Also, I I just want to point out. You started in 2016, and the fact that you had collected three-fourths of an entire Super Nintendo set was just like a footnote. Like, oh, yeah, back before I was a collector, I collected three-fourths of an entire Super Nintendo set. Yeah. 
That's, Whoops. that's true. Um, so yeah, and and so uh, but honestly, and Johnny was there for this. Uh, this is actually how I met Johnny. Uh, at uh, around that time, I found Nintendo Age, which almost turned me off of the hobby because the Nintendo Age uh, community at the time were pieces of shit at generally. Uh, that is I mean, a, that, a that's uh, that's maybe an overstatement, but there there sure. was definitely they were was being a, there was, there they was were a, being pieces of shit to me. There was there they were, but there there like the there was a, like a select group of Nintendo Age guys who were really high on like and they were they were the max posters. Like if you were there, they were posting always, and they always had an opinion, whether that opinion was valid or necessary on something. So they always had to say something, and they and they found you quickly. Um, yeah, because there was a lot of I, good people on Nintendo Age, but they like quietly recessed from what Nintendo Age was becoming at the time. Yeah, the the good people certainly weren't responding to my posts, no. <laughs> and and um, so there you go. There's your qualifier. Um, and uh, but yeah, because I was you know I'd come in on the scene, and all they saw was this guy coming in with you know a significant amount of money to spend, and. Uh, and and you know going through that's when speed collector was a very common term. I don't oh, even you speed collector. Did they call you a shelf collector? Yeah, I don't even remember the last time someone used the term speed collector. But it was very it was a hot term at the time. Yeah, now that I thank God you did it fast. Right? Man, yeah. Can you imagine if you're taking longer? Yeah. Right. I think everyone lived through like 2012 to 2017 and then 2019 and it's like, oh, I got to collect fast. And now everyone has had some point where they've FOMO'd some shit. So they're like, yeah, speed collecting is the way to go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I was getting called the speed collector and, uh, and it, there, it hit a crescendo when I had bought this lot. Johnny, I know you remember it because this is the, literally the post in which I met you. Yeah. Um, but I had posted this lot of it was just a really nice, clean lot of um, SNES RPGs, like CIB, like pretty much every notable SNES RPG, and um, and I'd gotten it for not a song, but a good deal. Um, and today it would be a song, but I was really excited to post about that, and that was not uh, not the response that I received, except for honestly, I think it was Johnny and Bronte that were like. Y'all can go fuck yourself. This kid is doing a great job. And so that's actually uh, how Johnny and I met. And uh, that's, I think, what, a couple months later, we ended up going to the, the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, yeah. uh, where we where we stayed in this uh, we stayed in this Airbnb that legit had a sex dungeon. Yeah, it was, that was weird. <laughs> it was really that, weird. That was weird. I would stay <laughs> there again. You, yeah, you try. Yeah, ten out of ten. But like, yeah. it was it was really weird. Uh, <laughs> and um, so over the over the course of the next several years, I think Johnny would probably call me. A, I think he did call me a trash collector. Uh, in yeah. that, I really was more all about just like seeing how quickly I could amass this collection, similar to I think Tyler, but except I was older and had more money uh, when <laughs> yes. I was doing it. Uh, and, um, and so I ended up doing what, a 10 North American sets, if you include the little ones like, um, Virtual Boy and, uh, Sega Pico. I sent you yeah, that listing. That was a great Pico deal. is one of them. Yeah. Pico is one that I bought just in one shot. Uh, thanks Tyler. 500 but bucks for the whole Pico set, complete in box. What a deal. It, it was really good. And I think I bought the Virtual Boy set all, all one shot too. Um, but, uh. So then I guess I was probably 
I mean, it couldn't have been that long because it's only been, you know, six years. Um, a couple years into it, I sort of realized that I was enjoying the hunt for games more than I was enjoying actually having these games. Uh, and that at the time, because this was before like the sealed boom, sealed wasn't even really on my personal radar as the, as a thing you would do. And so like game collecting really felt like it was more expensive than it was difficult. And I, as someone who was looking for the difficulty, um, I started looking into other things. I was like, okay, so like, like I got this, I got the set collecting thing down. Like, what, what else is out there for me to collect? What's harder? And so I started collecting point of sale displays. That was probably the the first the first turn. And uh, and I will always remember Johnny, like me being me being scared when the when the like sealed boom started to happen. Johnny and Tyler were. Uh, I I had said that I was concerned that those people were going to start like you know, collecting point of sale stuff and that it was going to boom the market. And you two were calling me absolutely insane that that would never happen. And it completely happened. Now fiber optic <laughs> signs are like five to $10,000. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I was, you know, I was doing statues and, and fiber optic signs and neons and, you know, standees and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I obviously I didn't get everything, but I got sort of got to the point where I was like, okay, I have most of what I want. I think there's one fiber optic sign that I still want. If anybody wants to sell me a Super Nintendo fiber optic sign, by the way. Well, you don't I'm want the, the, the globe one, the World Nintendo globe? Nah. Oh. I don't even know how many are out there. I just know one guy has two, which is just yeah. the rudest collector ever. <laughs> the rudest, Super rude. The worst. That guy's the worst. I mean, <laughs> why'd, you, why'd you do it? Why'd you if do you're it? listening to this show right now and you don't know about the Fiverr World and Nintendo Globe, I think I think my podcast host here might poo-poo it. Man, it's the coolest Nintendo sign that you could possibly get. It's a giant fiber optic globe and it spins. So cool. it does spin. It has a little motor and it's it. like thirty thousand dollars or something. Yeah, something crazy like that. Um, well, they, it's, I mean, I think it's less that it's thirty thousand dollars and more that it's just not for sale. Uh, yeah, like, there's just not a lot of them. Yeah. Um, because, because I've never seen a collector sell one of those to another collector. It's always like collectors offering them for insane prices and then other people finding in, in the wild, like all the new, the new ones that I see coming, the, the, the very small handful of them that come to market do so not through collectors to collectors, but it's through someone finding one in the wild and then being really happy because the only other point of the the only other metric he has they have to compare it to is these collectors yeah asking thirty thousand dollars and then um uh, do they sell it to a private collector instead of just putting it on ebay like they should yes what is generally. wrong with people guys don't try to figure out the price of something you can't figure out the price of just put it on ebay <laughs> um so the the real turning point was when i had been looking for uh, specifically Nintendo gameplay counselor jackets. And how that happened was uh, I was flipping through an, an issue of Nintendo Power Number no. 1, and the first thing, the first advertisement in Nintendo Power Number no. 1 is an ad for the, the gameplay counselor hotline. And uh, and there was it's these these three kids that are looking at Nintendo Power and they have these gray jackets on them and I I just had the thought of I wonder if those jackets actually exist, so I started looking for those and talking to hordes and hordes of former gameplay counselors and and uh, and then through that it was there was a lot of conversations around like oh well I don't have any of my gameplay counselor stuff but 
I do have this, or I don't have this, my jacket, but I have all this other stuff. Or like I have the box that I um, that I walked out of Nintendo with on my last day. You know, like the the last day office box that everyone has like a couple of in their garage, and. Um, and so, uh, so I just started collecting like weird Nintendo employee stuff, like trophies and 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 paperwork. And I've like someone's four hundred one k plan from Nintendo from like nineteen ninety. Um, and uh, that's it. I mean, yeah. how many other people have that? Yeah, right. It's just weird shit. Like I was just like, that's why I that's why I really love those those like last day boxes because that's the, those are the those are the finds that have like just odd paperweights and rulers and that's how i found my earthbound ruler was <laughs> it was just like some some dude just had it in a box in his garage he's like yeah i got that and, yeah um he's like yeah they were just handing them out <laughs> here um so uh and then at one point i had talked to a counselor that said i don't have any of my counselor stuff but after i left uh, gameplay counseling i started doing art for nintendo power magazine and i still have some of that would you be interested and like in a very like cartoon gif manner, like my, you know, the camera zoomed in on my tiny brain that started to shake and then it exploded. Um, it had never, it had never occurred to me that that was something that would still exist and that it would be available to collect. And, and furthermore, anything that I would find uh, would be the only one. And like that would, that that's really what like got me super hot on looking for Nintendo Power magazine art, not just because I, you know, I of course I loved Nintendo Power and and had nostalgia for it, and and uh, in fact, and it's funny because people who have nostalgia for that magazine tend to have specific nostalgia for that magazine that transcends any of the game content in it. Um, I started. That's how I started, kind of on, getting on the hunt for looking for original art for Nintendo Power magazine, and that's you know then blossomed into other things Nintendo Power related, but. Um, but but then you know I kind of got to the point where I was like okay well now that I have all this stuff you know I, at this point I'm sitting on uh, around 400 pieces of original art from Nintendo Power magazine um, and a lot of like ancillary um, production materials and you know rough drafts for things and sketches and paperwork and all sorts of stuff and so um, and I was like okay well what do I what do I do with this like I'm not just gonna I don't want to just have it like what is the end game. And that's when I decided that I was going to form a museum. And uh, and that's where the interactive art collection came from. And so now I take that collection and I travel with it. And that is kind of my end game. I do feel like I've like hit my like final form on this collecting journey. Like this is just what I want to do with the rest of my life. I was recently talking to uh, 2K, who is my until, until a few days from now, is my employer. <laughs> and, uh, and we were talking about this... Uh, collection for an article that they did and um and i said look i i do this job so i can afford to do that job um and it's really true like i feel like it's it's become sort of my my life's work um and it's just kind of what i what i want to do um and that's i think a pretty decent snapshot of my journey through this collecting thing and uh so is and this is the end game there's nothing next it's just more of this yeah, I mean, where would I? I just, if there is something else, I haven't figured it out yet. Like, I don't have a plan. Like, this is this is this is the end of the long game, right? This is the end of the master plan. I don't know if there's another master plan. Cool, but I just don't know where it would go from here. 
It can't be the end game. I think Stefan is some years from now, Stefan will realize there's nothing more Nintendo power to get because he will have traced down every single person who has ever worked on the magazine. He's going to be like, I need to go to Nintendo of Japan and start tracking down original Nintendo of Japan employees and getting all of their internal documents. And that will be the final frontier because you'll have to learn a new language and deal with <laughs> a company and culture that is not going to want to give you anything. Anything, anything, yeah. <laughs> I, it's certainly been, I have I have about 70 pieces of art that from Nintendo Power that were originated in Japan. And that's only because I found... Uh, I found someone who had uh, later immigrated, right? So that and and took a bunch of art with her. So, um, so it was a Japanese artist that was in Seattle, and that was the only reason that I was ever able to source it. I have yet to source Japanese art from Japan. Um, read the Game Shark did read the Game Shark with his uh, Devil Crash original art from Japan. He did, yeah. Getting that original art from Japan, super hard. What a cool guy. Uh, You've done it. You've invoked the name. We have to do the thing. (laughs) All right. If you're looking for import games and you want them for cheap, please contact Red the Game Shark at Cheap Cheap Games, where you get your games for cheap. All right. I I think, Stefan, me and you started off in similar places, and we have ended up in entirely different places. And I will say, like, you sure seem like you're at your final form. You definitely, to me, seem like... Uh, you know, the Nintendo power and art guy and internal weird Nintendo stuff guy. Like, you are clearly way more passionate about that than you were about your GameCube set that you sold immediately. <laughs> immediately, So yeah. it makes a lot of sense. What started you off down the full set path? Is it just that you were friends with Johnny and Johnny has a mental disorder that causes no, him to collect the, all this? No, he was doing this before he met me. Yeah, no, it was just that it, it it gave me a very specific parameter to work within that I didn't have to think about, right? That I was like, yeah. like this is the thing I'm doing because the first one was the Super Nintendo set. And that was, again, this was at a time where I was like actively looking for something to distract me and distract me a lot and distract me very quickly, right? Um, and uh, And so that's, it was really, the set collecting came out of just like, oh, here's a very like, a very rigid parameter that I don't have to think about. And I can just like have my list in my back pocket. At that point, I was just using a paper list and, uh, and, and it was just, it was very, it was easy. The structure made it easy for me. And, uh, and then video games became too easy and, and no, then one video wants, games. no one wants a hobby that's too easy. <laughs> Except Tyler. Who's like, um, let me beat the easiest games ever. This is my hobby. such a damn wimp, Johnny. You have no idea. It was, I was the worst. And now, and like, <laughs> if people look back on that, on, on me, then they'd be like, well, we need games of all different difficulties. And it's not about the challenge. It's about the fun. And everyone should be able to have fun with, fuck that. Get, there are so many games you could play. Just, all right, Johnny, let's move on. From <laughs> Tyler didn't want to finish so- yeah, he didn't want to finish that sentence, which was, fuck fun, get good, scrubs. Fuck fun, get good. <laughs> <laughs> that was the completion of that thought, wasn't it? If there was a cable car that went up to the top of Mount Everest, Johnny, what's the point? What What's the point? To see the beautiful view? 99.9% of people would do it, and they wouldn't even have like the 2.5% chance that you die on Mount Everest, which is two, like the actual two and a half, Two and a half percent, isn't it higher than that? I, it might be like 3%, what is it? I don't know. I don't know. De- Everest death rate. All right, let's instead of having you talk, let's look up the Everest sure. death rate. I can't believe that anyone <laughs> uh holy shit, 14% fatality yeah. rate? Yeah, I was going to say Everest is really difficult. What uh, the yeah. f- Who 
is climbing this? These are just, like a lot of there's just like rich tourists, right? They're, they uh, see a 14% death rate and they're like, oh yeah, that seems like something to do with my tons oh, of money and amazing and life. You know what? You know what's cool is because you kind of have to have money to like go do it and you have to be like pretty trained. And then you, when you get to hike the mountain, you've got your Sherpa and everything with you. You get to walk past the corpses of all the people who failed because they don't take the bodies down the mountain. They leave them there. It's a grim frozen reminder of, uh, what could that, happen that to you? That can't be true. Is that true? It, it is true, yeah. They can't, you cannot take the mountains down the body. I mean, some have come down, but most uh, frozen dead bodies stay frozen dead bodies up there. Feel uh, free to yeah, Google Definitely that. above the death zone, because it's, yeah. it's hard enough to just exist up there, let alone do actual work. Yep. Um, Johnny, if you watched uh, mountaineering, caving, and diving disaster videos, you would know all about the bodies that have to be left in all sorts of places. No, you should Johnny. get in my YouTube algorithm game. No, mm -mm. I I was just I was just googling for this right, and I got to do they leave the and the first Google <laughs> the, the the first Google response was bodies on Mount Everest. Yeah, how do you feel about that now? <laughs> Worse, right? Not better. Um, yeah, and so while some bodies have been removed, it is estimated that over a hundred remain on the mountain. There you go. I think, but don't worry, a lot of them have probably fallen like off the trail and no, into no. like ditches uh, yeah. and stuff. So you're probably good. You probably well, no, they're like, like most people don't die off the trail, Tyler. Well, if you fall, then your it, body is, is a, somewhere you inaccessible. Don't fall. Probably, no, you don't. Fall. Excuse you... me, Johnny. I'm looking at the statistics. The two biggest statistics, 68 died to avalanche, 67 to falls. And it's much lower exposure, altitude, sickness, heart attack. But the point is, there are bodies there on the trail that didn't fall off the mountain or get swept away on an avalanche. They just stopped being able to climb and died. Yeah, they just sat down and they're like, oh, this feels nice. Yeah. Let me just Let uh, rest for a while. And after I take a nap, I'll get back up and keep going. You got uh, green that, boots from 1996. That's the, the picture you see all the boots. time. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I don't think and, green boots has ever even been identified. So, uh, and what you guys may have missed in this like grim talk we're having suddenly and for reasons I can't fathom. A hundred percent your fault. You did this. Uh, Tyler talked about his algorithm where he watches these insane serial killer videos and not videos about serial killers videos a serial killer would watch he's like let me watch a bunch of videos about people who die in cavens all the time Are you fucking maniac what is wrong uh, with you yeah like there's entire youtube channels just dedicated to like caving and diving disasters and the algorithm started recommending to me and i'm like all right algorithm yeah and every video is just like, he dived and went too deep and couldn't come back up and he died. And then the rescuers went down and one of the rescuers died. And then they closed that place for diving because it was too dangerous. And every video is the exact same thing. And they stretch it out to 15 minutes. And I'm just like, yeah, I'll just put this on the background. Listen to some people die in horrible drowning deaths. Yeah. With British overtones, because that's who narrates these things. Yeah. It makes it classier that way. That way it doesn't seem like just like, you know, death porn videos. It's just like, oh yeah, this is really, the guy sounds concerned and, and classy. Yeah. It. He's what concerned, but not weepy. He's going to edit all of this out. No, he's, he's definitely what leaving it out. He's leaving it What? So oh. last time, um, last <laughs> episode, someone said like, I love when, uh, I love when your son interrupts you, Johnny, and starts talking about something. And I think I edit all those out and I'm worried that I left in like one of our 
our five minute interruptions where JD just comes up and starts saying random shit. You, you must That's my favorite. You must have left it in because he came at that the strange. I think said like, "Oh, I love yeah. when your son t- comes in and tells you he's an Indominus Rex." But when when that happens, like we get sidetracked for like three minutes of just like dead air, and I'm worried I left something like that in the last episode. You must have. Go go check it. A professional editor would have never done that if we had one of those. Um, yeah. Anyways, Tyler's a maniac uh, who likes dark, grim things, and uh, Stefan is a speed collector to get us all back on track. Okay. Yes. And now he's speed collecting everything related to Nintendo Power. Because Stefan, why why don't you just wait for prices to come down on that Nintendo Power stuff once you find it? Uh, because that's not how that works when you're working with one and one of one objects. Also, people are dying. Uh oh man, yeah. and not just uh, cavens on mountains or no. under the water. No. <laughs> uh yeah, Stefan, you want to get me that Ocarina of Time card though? Yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> okay. You got to play the long game with this stuff, Tyler. All right. Got to play the long game. I mean, you play the long game. How? What? what the still the craziest thing that you got, I think, is like all that uh, that Dragon Warrior stuff, especially the Dragon Warrior map. But like, I don't even think you've been collecting that kind of stuff long enough for that to have been the long game, because that seems like something that should take a lifetime for you to get. But you still got that Dragon Warrior map. I mean, there's already been instances where like I um will like someone will say like two years ago or three years ago, someone tells me that they have a box of something in their in their garage, and if they come across it one day, that they'll give it to me, and then a box of prototypes shows up on my doorstep three years later. Um, like, there's weird stories like that, where I just, like, I plant the seed in someone's head and then walk away, and then it, and, and then it blossoms years later. Mm. I gotta, gotta plant more seeds. Just, you do. Uh, that's what it's. That's what it's all about. Stupid old Apple games, and see what happens. It's never. It's never about walking away with the thing that you want. It's all about making sure that they believe that when the time comes, you are the best home for the thing. I mean, that sounds like it with one of one things. But I'm just some guy collecting mass-produced retail items, Stefan. So there's always going to be multiple people who want my stuff. That's true. Stupid stuff. Like the the stuff I want, Stefan, they sold it in a store to just regular people. Like like me and Johnny, you know, like the regular people, the normies, like people could just Yeah, buy why would anyone care about that? For like 40 bucks, they would just go in and buy a video game. And now I want that stuff. Like who would ever want that kind of thing? Just us. <laughs> just us. Um all right, Johnny, you uh you are I'm going to say the person who has changed the least of us over the years cuz you're still a a big stupid set collector buying checklist big. garbage. But do yeah. you want to explain yeah. your goals? No, thanks for summing me up so succinctly. And that's our show everybody. <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> Johnny started collecting sets and he's still collecting sets. Yeah. The end. I mean, I, there there kinda. is a nobility to the fact that like he started off and and like he figured it out and it he didn't change. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Uh, yeah. So um, let's see. It's 2004 and uh, I'm a maniac. So I start making lists. Actually, it starts. And I, I've said this before. It starts. I, I walk into a game crazy. Um, not even like a, a GameStop. Because I've been in like GameStops and stuff. And I'm when I go into those and like Electronics Boutique and uh, EBs and stuff. I mean, that's the same thing. But depending where you are and what they were called. Uh, 
and I have seen plenty of retro games. Nothing strikes me about them at all. I'm there for new games. Nothing is happening. I just, I don't care. I'm still playing new games. That's, and like, I'm not even playing that many games at this point in my life. Uh, I've just started dating my wife, I think, 2000, let's see. No, I bet we've been together like a year. Like, yeah, so she's got me like an Xbox, but I'm not like on the retro train. I still have some PS1 games because they're not that old. I still have a couple old Super Nintendo games. At this point, I've even sold a couple of PS1 games, which made me cringe and decide to never sell anything to a GameStop ever again. Only took one time. Sold an Ogre Battle. And uh, when they were like, they just quickly tell you, like, you bring in your 10 games and they like quickly tell you the total. And then you find out that Ogre, Ogre Battle you sold was like $3 or whatever. And you just feel bad. You're like, I would have, I would have just kept that for $3, but that's not the big picture at the time. Um, anyways, I, I walk into this game crazy and it hits me. I'm like, man, I should own every game I've ever beaten. And I beat a lot of Nintendo games as a kid. So I was like, I, I want that. That's when the, that's when the switch flips. I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter. I am not buying this to play it, even though I might go play it. What I want to do is I want to get all the games I used to play. And uh, we were at this friend Eric's house, and we did play a bunch of these games. Like, he had his old Nintendo set up. He had, like, kind of a small retro collection at the time. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go buy every game. So I bought, like, and it was just carts only. I'm like, I'm just going to go buy a bunch of this stuff. And uh, that started. And then, you know, what happens with me is the minute I become consumed with an idea... Uh, full crazy comes out. Like if I become fully consumed, then I like start making a list and I start doing research in, in the way that you can do in 2004, which was a lot more limited than it is now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for places I find Nintendo age and yeah. And it, it like whatever the sickness is. And I'm like buying all these games and I'm, I had then start thinking about like what games meant to me. And I was like, you know, as a kid, I said, I always wanted to complete a Super Nintendo set. Not not that those were the words I used. I said, I want to own every Super Nintendo game. Like, that was, you know, just like my refrain, because Super Nintendo was my core console as a kid. Even though I had a lot of Nintendo, I was just like, man, Super Nintendo was the one that I worked the hardest for. That's the one that I put a story out on the podcast for. Super Nintendo was, you know, is the one that lives in my brain forever. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna probably do that. And then, for some reason, Saturn got lumped in there, too. And I was like, you know, I really like Saturn. This is like a weird system that I found, like, because I found the Saturn as an adult while I was in the military. And I was like, this is like a fun thing. Like there's not that many of these games. Maybe I could complete these. And these are like cool cases. And I would really have like, even though it hadn't been that long since I got the Saturn, I had a weird nostalgia for the Saturn because I was not enjoying my time in the military at this point when I found the Saturn and I like found shining force three. And it was such like a happy, weird moment for me in a time when I was kind of unhappy and, uh, mm. you know, I was like, man, the Saturn, like just that emotional, like fix, like, ah, I found like, I was not enjoying anything around me. I didn't like the people I was with for the most part. I didn't like the situation. And I found this thing I liked suddenly. And my brain was just like, we love this. Thank you for finding some source of joy in a time when you are mostly miserable. Good job. So 
Saturn becomes part of the thing and Super Nintendo. And then like Nintendo, every game I beat and like, and I just start to, I'm thinking about all of these moments uh, because I can't just think about one thing. I have to like, everything builds on itself. I'm like, oh yeah, I want these games I beat. And I did always say I wanted to get every Super Nintendo game ever. Like, how hard would that be? I mean, I'll start with just the games I've beaten and my favorite ones. But, like, I should, if I see any, I should buy all of them. I should buy every single one I can find. And then Saturn got lumped into that. So this is what I start going out looking for. And I'm I'm hitting garage sales. I'm on Nintendo Age. I'm going to Game Dude, Stefan. And turns out there weren't a lot of Nintendo games or Super Nintendo games there. Um, mm. but I am going to these garage sales and I'm always finding Genesis games. So I like, and just lots and Dreamcast stuff. So I'm just buying, like you get there and they're like, Oh, sold all my Nintendo games, but I got this Sega stuff in the back if you want it for like $5. So it's just like, okay, sure. So this is, this is my foundation. I'm kind of at this point, a garbage man. I have a goal in mind. And this is 2004, 2005, like I said, even 2006. I have this goal, but I'm not super good at achieving it yet. And I mean, I am using eBay now. I'm like, okay, I'm going to start targeting buying some of my favorite games. And then that's the point where I start buying games in boxes. It's like, oh, well, it's not that much more for the box at this point. Or the cart is almost as much as the box. Or sometimes there was a big disparity. Um and you're like, oh, okay. Like, I, I got a Chrono Trigger, and, like, that was one of the first ones I went back and got. I was like, oh, man, I have to buy this in the box. Like, it has its map and everything. Like, if I just bought the cart, that would be weird. Like, the maps and everything are important. So, with Super Nintendo, there was a lot of RPGs there. So, I was like, oh, very much so. Everything needs to be in the box if I can get it. It needs to have all the maps and manuals. For the games I cared about most, they all needed to be complete. But I wasn't, like, a complete box collector yet it was going that way and then as i bought more super nintendo games like that usually on ebay i started to feel that like oh ick carts only this is not the thing this isn't the whole experience this isn't everything i wanted this is not the memory i don't have the memory of hey it's a cart in my hand i have a memory of opening the box and seeing the thing which is kind of why i don't care about the manual for a lot of games because most games I didn't give a shit about the manual. I plugged the game in. Certain games, I always cared about the manual because I'm like, I want to read and know about it. Um, especially RPGs, all the maps. So an RPG, I definitely wanted the manuals and all the maps because that was part of my of my experience as a child. Uh, See, you're you're smart for doing that, Johnny. Because I mean, it, both I'm dumb as a kid and I was dumb when I was first collecting because. My experience with boxes for new games was 100% tearing it straight down the middle, throwing out everything. I would keep the manuals. I'd throw out the box like within 30 seconds of uh, getting my hands on a video game. And then really the only reason I started collecting complete in box is because I essentially ran out of cartridges that I wanted. Um, and now, now that I'm targeting more specific games, it's like, yeah, I want the nicest copies of the games I want. But uh, Yeah, which includes the box. Like if you're going to have a nice copy, it's got to have the box. Yeah. And, you know, even now and like when the period you're talking about, like complete in box games were not valued highly enough. And I would say even now there are a lot of games where condition and completeness, while they are a lot more important than they were even five years ago, I still think, I mean, 
not hyping complete in box games, but I do think a lot of complete in box stuff still undervalued compared to card prices. Yeah, I mean, and and that's and that's been going up for years. Like the ratio is getting smaller. That was like one of our best episodes we ever did was where we tried to t- talk people into buying CIB games by looking at the ratio. Like how much mm-hmm. is the cart compared to? Like I think I even made a spreadsheet for. Uh, I think was it Ness I did this for or Super Ness? I can't remember what set I did for. I'm like here and we used like price charting or something. I'm like here's their suggested CIB price. Here is their suggested uh, cart price. I'm like, and here's the ratio. And if you're trying to buy these things individually, here's how much it's worth. So like, so even if you buy it to strip it for parts and sell the other thing, this is the best deal is to buy this the CIB. And this is when it's not a deal at all. Like we just showed people how close in value it was. That was an episode I really enjoyed doing um, because it was true. And it while that ratio is getting worse, it it's still true on, on a lot of stuff. Um, like, especially if you're going to piecemeal it together later, I can tell you, uh, as someone who was going through these, this mishmash of stages, like deciding arbitrarily, not arbitrarily, but for my own reasons, like this manuals are important here, but not important in this game. So I don't care if it has a manual or a box. Cause like, oh, I, I beat that game, but I only ever traded for that game and the kid didn't have the box. So I only ever got the cartridge. So I don't care about the box or the manual because my memory of the thing is just the cart. Like I was just relying on whatever my sensory input for that item was to determine what condition I was buying it in, uh, which was crazy. And then like after buying enough Super Nintendo games, I was like, I should be buying more manuals and more boxes. And now I need to go out and get all the boxes for these dumb cart only games I got because they were a deal or something. Uh, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I piecemealed a lot of stuff, and then now my Super Nintendo collection is like a little bit regretful because like they're not as all as complete as they could be because tons of them have posters, and I like I'll never have those posters now or certain prints have posters. I bet a bunch of your manuals aren't correct matches for those boxes now, Johnny. A lot of those I went and I fixed. Okay, (laughs) so like yeah, I did spend a good meticulous time like seeing if it like. Okay, is this the right manual? Also, like, the right manual is... Like, as long as it's not the black and white Majesco manual in the wrong box, I'm, like, pretty okay. If it's a Dash 1 in a in a regular, in a non-Dash 1 box, it's fine because they mix that stuff anyways, even at factory. It's not, it's not clean like everyone thinks it was. It's not like, if you have a Dash 1 box, it definitely has a Dash 1 manual and a Dash 1 cart. That is not how that exists. That only means there's been a... Re- revision to that piece of to that component specifically and not every component may get a revision so you could have a dash two cart in a regular box that shit happens so the thing is that's what you say it's totally true but you have if you have pieced together a bunch of games at some point you have definitely made something that never existed oh yeah and the thing is because things are all mixed up you'll just never know which game it is nope I'll, i'll never know and i'm i'm not I'm not trying to know. Uh, th- yeah, that's the difference between Johnny and Tyler. Uh, it, Tyler, it would drive him crazy. Johnny does not give a fuck. Yeah, that's- like- I've given up. But, uh, man, components are so hard. I, I've, I've told this story where I, uh, I replaced every single dust sleeve in my NES games. This was, you know, in the in the 2000s. I replaced them all with Nintendo shiny sleeves because those were the coolest sleeves. And I've never gone and fixed that. And because of NES prices, most of my complete in box NES stuff, you know, I got 10, 15 years ago. Uh, so just all my NES games are messed up. They all have the wrong dust sleeves. And um, I'm never going to bother to go fix it because it's such a 
fucking stupid thing I did. Yeah, but you do have the cooler death sleeve on all of your games. That is true. I do. My my copy of Bible Adventures is sitting there with a shiny Nintendo dust sleeve in it. Sweet. <laughs> Excellent news, Tyler. That makes sense. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so, yeah, this is like 2006, 2007. I'm starting to evolve. Um. And then I, this is where an era where I shift, like, I'm just not finding any of this stuff and like, it's hard. So now I'm only piecemealing stuff off of, off of uh, eBay, like, uh, and from the forums, I'm in buying some complete stuff still on eBay. I've been hitting up video stores as they're closing. Hey, do you have any stuff in this where I find a bunch of N64 stuff? Because that's what was going out of it. Like video stores still had remains. So I just went to my local video game stores or my video stores. And I was like, before they all closed, um, the ones that weren't like blockbuster, most of them were already gone. But in like 2007, there was still a few existing. I was like, Hey, do you guys have any stuff? Or do you still rent games? Do you like want to get rid of all this stuff? Like, is are your N64 games still being rented out? And they're like, no, please, please make me a fair offer on these games and get them off of my shelf. We could use shelf space or yeah, I got just uh, the boxes in the back. If you want those, these were things I encountered, which is also a terrible idea because most of them wrote like the name of the vi- their video store in Sharpie across the box. So you wouldn't steal it or put a giant ugly sticker on it. Anyways, um, this is the type of collector I was. This is, these are the things I was doing. I was looking for deals. I was going, you know, I, I was still going to garage sales at that point. Uh, you know, everything was a value proposition. I did have sets in mind, but I was not going as hard as I should have been. And I was still acquiring, and you could call it a garbage collector. It's like, if I saw something that was a good deal, I would get it. I wasn't like, if I saw a bunch of Maddens, I wouldn't just go pick up those because they were a good deal. There had to be some value in the problem. It wasn't just that it was cheap. It had to be like, Okay, I think these are worth it, and I could either trade these or sell these. Like Madden, Madden games were like just a zero figure. It's like you can only spend money on these; you can never make money on these. So I wasn't that wasn't just the mass consumption. I, you know, I wasn't seeing big box computer games for ten cents and being like, I should also buy these. Uh, so there, there was a little bit of rhyme or reason. Not a completely garbage collector, but I was definitely buying more than I needed to, which enabled me to do all these sets later enabled and also like you know preyed on my mental weakness which is like i need to do sets things need to be complete as much as i can make them um yeah get about 2008 2009 i really start focusing on genesis that's where the segage stuff comes in we have this like tight group on segage and we start making lists because no one knows what's going on with genesis or cardboard boxes or sega cd so you know and i've been staunchly making these lists. I want to tell you about my list at the time. Some of them are handwritten, which is gross. I used to carry around a folder. I just brought this like three ring binder in the car with me that had all of my notes and everything, like all my collector's notes. I had sections and like tabs and like some of it, like if I did it at work on a computer, they'd be like printed off. I had game dude price sheets in there, Stefan. You'll appreciate that. I hole punched and like tossed in this binder. (laughs) Then the digit press book i had their rarity guide that i also kept in that folder and i just brought this stuff with me and like i'd be walking into stores 
like an insane person with this binder and I'd be like looking stuff up as I hold it. And uh, I could see the look in whoever was the customer service person there, you know, whoever had to work the register, they just look at me and their eyes would glaze over. And there was just like, this guy's a nightmare. Oh my God. My, my worst dreams have come true. And, uh, this is the customer I'm going to be dealing with a guy who walks into a game store with a binder and, uh, you know, is calculating things and smartphones were, were newish there. So like, I mean, it was a mess. It was a mess, uh, but I was trying to get organized uh, the only way I knew how. So, yeah, that that's what going on. Then, like I said, Sega Age. Then we got start getting the spreadsheet mania that I like, had started building in small things. And that's about when I just started going crazy. Then I was like, list for everything. Now it's like easier. And I started doing some Excel training. So I got better at it, how to pull data out of places. And this is, begins my process of uh, becoming a data miner and like learning about data. And yeah, I've continued that part of it, you know, and just getting more advanced every time I can um, on my list. And to the day that I see all my old lists, which people still use and I think they're just trash and I want to throw them away. I just cringe when I look at them, um, but they're still fine. They're serviceable checklists, but they're not the type of list I would really want to use as we talked about in the last episode. So that was that era. And then that's really about then is when I started complete sets. I did the cardboard set. Like I, I finished 32 X, uh, super hard set to complete, but that was, uh, Johnny, there is no 32X set. It's all just part of Genesis. Yes, I, that's. Thank you for. <laughs> thanks for using my jokes against me. Like, just remember that you said that. We need, I don't even know if it's a joke. <laughs> I don't know. It. It's real. It says Genesis on the box. Just saying, it says Genesis on the box. If 32X isn't a set, then Outback Joey doesn't count for the Genesis set because it doesn't say Genesis on it. Uh, it's. A, I mean, it's a Genesis and a Genesis shell. I mean, I don't know what else you would want. It plays on a Genesis. Yeah, 32X game doesn't, though. It plays on, on a, a thing that plugs into a Genesis. It plays on a 32X Genesis. Shut up. All right, keep going. Uh, I'm waiting <laughs> I'm waiting for the point in your story when you decide, like, yeah, I should collect Wii and Vita. That's a sensible thing to do. Because, like, I get it. All right, Super Nintendo is the childhood system. You want all the Super Nintendo stuff. Yeah, your motivations well, are very clear. But I want you to keep going here. Uh, well, no, and I've, I've just laid the foundation for how Vita, like, this is this is the point. I tell you, like, I'm buying all this other stuff. I'm finding Genesis stuff, which I didn't care about. I joined a forum for it because other people were kind of into it, and I knew I had all this stuff. So that's where this becomes important. I've told you I have a random smattering of PS1 games. The point is, I wasn't being discerning enough. So I've, I told you I picked up Dreamcast games. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay... I guess I want sets for all of this. That's where this is going. As I, as the list thing happens, there, there, there's this horror to my brain that says the minute a list happens, you got to put an X or a check in that box on that list. So like, what are you doing with that list? Otherwise, why would you make a list? So I used to, I used to know this about myself. So I used to only like make lists of things I wanted because if I made a list of everything, then every then everything on that list became everything I wanted. Do you understand? Like that's what the sickness is. I, I understand the sickness. <laughs> so this is what happened. And then as I made more lists, and then you find out that data is so fucking bad everywhere. Everybody is so bad at making lists. All lists are terrible and awful and incorrect. It's they're all bad, including my own. This is I'm not absent from this. 
So I start making lists for everything. I'm like, well, can I see your Wii list? Can I see this? Like, so anytime a group was like making a list, I'm like, let me help you. Can I join in on this? Because I'm confident, at least more confident in myself than I am in others in making lists. Uh, you know, and then you find other people you trust who like are doing a good job and you're like, okay, let's team up and make better lists. And this is what happened. That's how we got there, Tyler. That's 2009, 2010, 11. I'm just buying more. And I'm like, I, by 2012, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start completing sets now. Like I've got enough money. I sell off a bunch of magic cards. I'm like, I put a bunch of that towards Nintendo games that were expensive at the time. Like my little Samson, I think I spent $700 on, which was like a lot, a lot of money, still a lot of money to spend Mm -hmm. on a video game, but like a nice one. I'm like, I got a nice little Samson. Now it's complete in box. I got, I got a Donkey Kong, uh, or not Donkey Kong, a Flintstones too. I'm like, I'm really working on the Super Nintendo set so I complete Nintendo. I start completing Super Nintendo. Dreamcast was like basically complete. I only needed to go buy filler for that. And then I I was buying Wii games because I owned a Wii because it was of the time. It wasn't like... Oh, man. I remember that Wii buy that you made at Portland. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, then like maybe I'll... I'll dabble in this. Like games are cheap and they're like going out of stock. So now is like, you start to think about, unfortunately you start to prey on your own old experience. You're like, okay, I knew all the N64 stuff was going out here. So it was at these discount prices. I should have been buying it at this point. This was true. I wish I would have bought Nintendo and super Nintendo at those points because it was going out and everyone was just getting rid of it. No one cared. And eventually people cared. Now it's expensive. Same thing happens with Wii, with Vita. I like, Vita was kind of like, oh, I'm collecting all these sets. I don't have a, I don't have a Sony set, and PS One doesn't make sense because that library is so big. And I found this guy selling a bunch of Vita games. I'm like, yeah, I'll buy a bunch of Vita games, and I own a Vita, so I already have some. I'm like, how close can I get to the set? <laughs> like, I might as well go for it. And then limited run comes into the picture, and you're just like, well, let's just blow up those dreams. Even though I did for a while, I just like, I'm like, I cannot this. I'm like. I've the limited run thing becomes a contrast point because you're like the system is going out, it's dying, it's all cheap. Limited run comes in while it's already dying, and then the games are no longer cheap. Now it's like you should not collect a set at full retail. At Wait, least did, that was the prevailing wisdom. Did did limited run push up the values of the rest of the yes. games or just their own game? Oh wow. All of I it. Didn't, I all didn't realize of it. that. Yeah, because it made Vita a system to collect for because they yeah, made yeah. it a collectible. Yeah. You know, not just a dying system. Now it was a collectible system. Right. So there was an there was this resurgence in interest for Vita, and it prolonged they prolonged the death of the Vita for a good long time. And yeah, I eventually was like, I can't keep paying twenty-five or forty-five or fifty-five dollars for Vita games. Sure. I can't keep doing this. This is not how I collect. This is not my this is not part of my tenants. Um so that yeah, that's why I stopped collecting Vita. We how Same close thing. did you get? Uh, three quarters. Mm. At that point, I was three quarters of the way done. And of the retail set that wasn't limited run, I think I was only missing like 10 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's still probably about right. And then I, someone came and bought some from me because they were like, I need to finish this set. And I was like, fine, take these ones. I don't care. Um, but I still have a very healthy supply of Vita games. Uh, we kind of the same thing. You were with me on that Portland trip where I was like, I'm, I guess I'm going for it. Like now is the time I'm you like bought, was at, it like 700 games? It was a shitload. Uh, it was like more like three or 400, but okay. yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of boxes that I shipped on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, yeah. Cause that's the memory I have is it's actually flying home with them. Yeah. Boxes, t- 
tumbling down the and then I did that with Xbox. I think the next year. Yeah, you're like that was. I mean, it worked out, right? I mean, yeah, cheap, that was a good idea. Cheap. I yeah. was laughing at you at the time, but that was a good idea. Just yeah. waiting, waiting till the last day of Portland, and then just cleaning out someone's table. Yep, that that's what I did. So yeah, like I'm going on, and this is like so. It's all the same goal. Like, what are my goals? My goals here, to be clear, are to collect sets for anything I've ever made a stupid list for. It's a mistake. It's stupid. And it can, it prevails today because I still kind of, I love games. I, I and I'm I while you were like, oh, you're a Nintendo fanboy. I, I guess I'm a Nintendo fanboy, but what I am more than that is a fan of games. I love games. I love seeing all their little bits and bobs. I like cool, dumb variants. I like all the dumb things about games. I, I love dumb variant history. I love seeing revisions on stuff. All the stupid minutia that I complain about, I actually love seeing all of it. I like whatever the process was. I love trying to dissect why a bunch of bad business decisions were made that got them to this point. Yeah. I love, I love all of that because that's what it is. Like people think, oh well, they like they've got this big plan. No, these were just business decisions that, and like, and if you've ever worked for a business that, especially a business or in something that is failing, and like. Eventually, all consoles fail. Like, Nintendo doesn't fail, but a console fails. And so what they do is they're propping it up as long as they can. And they're constantly pivoting in what they're doing, in their marketing, in their decisions for production. So all these things are an ever-changing thing. It's not like, we've made a decision, and this is how N64 will go. They're like, we're doing this. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. The sales aren't there. We got to make this change. Make this change. Do this. And so you just have all this weird variance within, and that's every console that's ever existed, that's what happened through all of their production runs. And then as I started to work for companies that used factories, and now knowing exactly how factories works and how things are mass produced, you know, you just look and it's a wonder that there's any kind of consistency. And a lot of it is false consistency applied by collectors. And that's like what I've tried to advocate. It's like, whatever you think is true, you're operating on a lot of assumptions that don't line up with how factories are actually run and how businesses use, especially a multi-component item, which is what games are. There's multiple components in the package that make it what it is. It's not like just a shirt. A shirt is just a shirt, okay? Uh, but a video game is like, here's a manual, here's here's uh, this guide, here's, here's this print advert, here's all this other stuff that has to go into the box to make it the complete part. So a multi-component builds in a factory, like if you're like, oh, well, this is the print run here, like, no, like if they have leftover pieces, they're not going to be like, well, that's not, that should be part of this print run. Throw all that stuff away. A factory's job is to, you know, use as many of the components as they can always get rid of all that. No waste, right? Factories hate waste. Companies hate waste. They actively fight it. Anyways, rant over on that. Um, so yeah, the, and this is where I still am. So nothing has changed since like 2008 when I started, or 2009, when I started making all these lists and deciding on systems, except um, I've gotten better at not going for full sets and being able to make lists and being like, okay, I just want to know about the system. Collecting the information is the goal more so than the thing. Even though like I made the list and like got the list for 3DS and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go at this. Like I'll, like I'll start a run. I'll see if I'm interested. Like how far does it go? I'll put a post out. Anyone got... Anyone have a big lot of games that they want to get rid of? Like, how far down this avenue do I want to go? Then I look and I'm like, you know what? Some of this is really stupid. I'm not actually that interested. I'll pull back. I'm fine with, like, maybe revisiting later. I did that with the Wii. Got almost all the way there. An article was released about what the rarest games were. Was semi-accurate, not completely, because it was just one person's personal experience. Um Love you, Aaron. Um, But that article screwed me on Wii collecting for, like, three years. Then... uh <laughs> 
then uh, it, that was Nintendo Twizer because he had just yeah. completed the Wii set and he was like, these yeah. are the 40 hardest games for me to get or something. And it was yeah. all like not what was popular to think were the rarest games at the time. And right. it was like someone who had like, actually gone and done it. And it's like, shit, this guy knows what he's talking about. Well, and we were in a group like we were in a, a private Facebook chat. All of us, uh, me, Retro Thunder, uh, Nick Morgan, like we were in this group called the Weenies, right? Uh like a little Facebook or uh, not Facebook, Instagram group chat. And we were all building the set at the same time. So he came out and they're like, not everyone was done like myself. And then I was just like, I can't, now I'm missing like all these 40 games. And now it's just like maximum sports games just suddenly became $150 and these double packs, $200. I'm like, I'm just, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to stop. Um, and I, that's what I did. I just stopped collecting Wii games and then like, we just slowly go pick at it and be like, okay, I'll just get one. And now we'll get to where I'm current day. I did the same thing happened with Xbox. Uh, didn't get popular. I just like Stefan completed it and we were like kind of doing it together and that was fun. But then like the last 80 games just became like, I have to go out and do this by myself. This sucks. So I stopped. <laughs> uh, no, I do want to finish it. It's still like, again, I still pick up games for it slowly. Like when I'm being burnt out on whatever my current thing is, I'll go look at these like little sets that are existing that I say I'm going to complete. And I'm like, okay, I'll go pick up three or four. With Wii, I basically just said, all right, we're getting this shit done. We're, we're finishing Wii. I just picked up like 40 games or 30 games. So I'm down to like only needing 50 games left for the Wii. So I'm in the, I'm in the finals uh, of that set now. Like I'm like really close to the end and nothing is too expensive. I just bought the most expensive game. So, uh, you know, we're, we're there. And that's how I collect. I have been the same guy. Like I started out as this garbage collector and then I made sense of that garbage collecting by becoming a set collector. That's your TLDR. I got to say, the for, speaking to what you just said about pivoting to Xbox and picking up a game here or there, pivoting away from set collecting is just has been so good financially in terms of like, if I've got an extra $100 sitting around, and this was, you know, say five years ago for me, it is so easy to look at the gaps in my checklist and be like, I could knock out five games right now. Because the, the, if you have a deep checklist, it is so easy to find a deal on something and you could just spend whatever money you have on that checklist, no matter what. But if I'm if I'm collecting like rare games I basically can't find, I can't do that. I can't go and I can't buy like a copy of a Calibeth for Apple II, which is uh, the predecessor to Ultima because there's just none for sale. So it's easier to hang on to my money when there's no checklist begging for me to spend money on it. Yeah, I mean that's that's part of the problem still. Like and like I'm finding it harder to spend more money on games. Like buying an expensive game has gotten a lot harder for me. It, you would have think all the FOMO push would have made it easier. It did not. It made it more difficult for me because even though I think it's easier to justify big prices, it's gotten like as I've most of the sets I care about are complete. Now it's just like drag sets that like have just been lingering. I'm just filling that out. So um, it's been really easy for me to like what I've been enjoying most is just like, I'm buying my weirdo Halloween games. It's a set that never ends and only expands and it's liberating because I'm not bound by anything. I'm not bound by a system. I'm not bound by particular nostalgia outside. I love Halloween and I just love seeing what they did. And I, I can just go wild because I still love buying games. I can just like go do whatever I want. I mean, that seems like if you were to pivot away from sets or you just complete all the sets, I'm excited to see the Johnny final form of just like, 
I'm just going to go buy all these 80s horror games that literally no one's ever heard of because there's just an endless amount of like text adventures and dumb little games that just no one collects for all I these mean, obscure that's computers. Ba- that's basically what I've been doing for like the last couple of years. I'm yeah. buying more Halloween games than I am set games, right? Like I just, I made this decision on the Wii stuff because I'm like, I, I just, I really want to finish the Wii. So like I'm going to finish the Wii and then I'm going to knock out, um, maybe xbox after that like because there's only 80 left if i can find like 40 of them for like 300 dollars, i'll just do it you know like I'll, I'll i'll bite the bullet and just be like knock a chunk out and that's kind of where, I, where i'm at like right now with Wii, i'm like okay i just bought this big chunk and now like every month i'll just go buy 10 games until it's done and then i can be done you know um like will i complete gba i'll, I'll just pick away at that as i've been doing like that's been like this like weird sub thing where I didn't even make a list for a long time because I didn't want to feel committed. And now I don't even check the list very often. I don't know what I don't have on the GBA. And I don't know on purpose because then every time I saw a GBA game, I'd be like, oh shit. Um, now people help me out. They send me lists and stuff. And I go and like, I'm still like working slowly on GBC. But these are games I pick at slowly and enjoy the process more than like, I got a rush to complete it. And if it never gets complete, I'm also, I've made peace with that. Like same with original Game Boy. I made the decision. I will never complete original Game Boy. And if I do, it might be like, I'll just go grab all the carts that I'm missing to, to if I want to check a box that says I completed the set, but I'm not going after like Game Boy prices are dumb and I don't care that much about original Game Boy. So it makes no sense to do that other than wanting just to complete the set. I'm interested to see if you will have any mindset changes uh, if in the near future physical games stop being a thing, because I don't think you're close to like having every physical game ever or anything. But of the people in the world who are even on the path to saying that they have every physical Nintendo game, I think you are somewhat uniquely situated in that you aren't that far away from having every physical game for a Nintendo console that's ever been made. Um, that's so correct. even if you have to like fudge it a bit by like maybe getting Game Boy cartridges or something like that, I think I want to see if something snaps in your brain and be like, I could be one of the guys who just has all the Nintendo games and they're not making any more because we live in the digital apocalypse. Well, I mean, I, I did that for Sega uh, and I was like, I got ev- I've got every Genesis console did it. And they're like, well, you don't have all the Game Gear games. I'm like, yeah, well, that's a portable. But I do have every Sega game, you know, like that. that That's like Game Gear is another set like I pick at if I see it. And the game, game Gear and Game Boy are like kind of the same position where I might, because of what you just said, Tyler, like I have every, I have every game they ever made in the United States or whatever, or North America, where I might just go pick up carts just so I can say that exact same thing. Like, I'm going to be like, I have every game they ever did. Um, and you've never, because, you've never like, consider, I guess your, your horror collecting is you having a goal that's not tied to sets. But I talk to all these like, uh, you know, set guys, <laughs> guys like us. Um, and like, I'll talk to like an NES guy who collects fucking nothing but NES. And they'll have like conversations like, yeah, you know, I wish I could, I could pivot into Game Boy, but NES is kind of endless. Or yeah, I wish I could pick up all these nostalgic 90s PC games like I see you doing. Uh, but like, I have to, you know, stick to my goals of NES, which again, never ends. NES collectors, like, I'm sorry, but your your hobby is too deep. You could do it forever. Uh, but you've never really, besides the hard games, just thought about pivoting away from sets. 
No, like, sets are hard, but it's also the thing I, like, when I tell people that I love, like, all the dumb minutiae of video games, I mean that. Like, all of it. I want to see all of it. I love seeing games I didn't own, didn't play. You know, it, whatever it is, it scratches a very weird part of my brain where I'm just like, look at all this weird shit. Like, you see me, some of the like paths I go on where I'm showing you like a bunch of LCD games and stuff. I'm like, man, look at all this neat, dumb stuff. I just like to see it. I love seeing it all. Um, it, it, it's never been a money proposition for me. Like people think, oh, well, maybe you've been rich this whole time. No, man, I have broke as shit. Like I, I have like a decent job. My wife and I had dual income and no kids uh, for a while. And that just recently changed, you know, a couple of years ago, but like a lot of it, I I hustled my ass off to to get games. I sold games. I bought games. I did other things. I did, you know, I would have two jobs, but it wasn't like, you know, I grew up poor, um, wasn't making huge money or anything, still not making huge money. I make, I'm doing fine, but um, it wasn't always the case. And, you know, I've been collecting since 2004 and definitely in 2004, um, I was not like, crushing it i was like fresh out of college i didn't have a job i got a job and then got like laid off and didn't have a job for like nine months during this period while i was still collecting until i you know got a little more stable changed my skill set you know to make myself a lot more hireable like you know because i didn't want to just i didn't want to take jobs in the fields that were offering to me like that wasn't the goal you know in life so like when you're pivoting it you know it, it's hard the, the interest is games right and that's People don't see like all the other weird work that's gone into it. But when I tell people I love to make lists, I love seeing the game stuff, there's no reason for me to pivot. And I, I've also come to peace, even though there's a sickness in my brain that says complete all the boxes, I'm also fine if I don't. That's it. Like you had to come to a, a place with that. And I only feel that way because I completed the sets that matter. And that's really the Super Nintendo set is really yep. the only one that matters. Uh, it's the like push comes to shove. Put a knife to my throat, only save one. It's Super Nintendo and it's done. And uh, so I, I, I can be at peace with the rest. All right. Uh, I know we're going to Portland soon. Is uh, is Eric going to be at Portland? I don't, know. I don't know. I know he's a little bit uh, disenfranchised by how stupid collectibles have been in the past few years. I but he is a comic well, dealer, so... Yeah, I, I don't think he's coming this year. I think he's got obligations otherwise. Um but I, I don't think it's a lack of like he wouldn't come. I think he's just otherwise obligated. I just want I just need to talk to him and be like, you got to talk to Johnny. He won't he won't stop the sets because if anyone doesn't know, Eric is is a comic dealer and collector who's like and comic people are super into like keys and mint condition and things like that. So Eric thinks like sets are just the dumbest shit. Like why are you collecting a set of 85 percent games that are just complete garbage? What are you doing? Um, which, yes, it's crazy. But he understands it's crazy. and. Uh, you know, yeah. Eric talking to me, even though he didn't change my opinion then, I still feel guilty when Eric is like looking at me like, Tyler, what are you doing? Stop buying this garbage. <laughs> like he's like, he's living in my brain. Like he's my little, uh, the devil on my shoulder. It's <laughs> like, Tyler, don't buy this. This is a stupid thing you're doing. Stop buying sets. Uh, okay. So I, I think we're pretty much done with the episode, but I want to answer a question from the discord uh, not from our specific Ask the Podcast one, but um, because it's very relevant to what you just said. I was asked this specifically. As by Reno the Collector, he says, why are you still a set collector when you clearly think being a curated collector <laughs> is the better way to collect? Why not just sell, <laughs> sell the shovelware uh, in your collection and keep the bangers? 
uh, here, here's a couple of reasons. One, because I like the sets and I, I am lucky enough right now, financially, I don't need the money. I, I don't have to sell. There's no impetus to sell except like gaining back space and like, uh, you know, other things in my life. Yes, 100%. If I, I mean, this is a more a do as I say, not as I do kind of a thing because I understand the unique sickness that is in my brain, right? Uh, I understand where I'm wrong and where I'm inconsistent. And I try to make sure other people don't fall in the same holes I've fallen into. So that's why I'm not a curated collector and why I preach so avidly. Like, yeah, it's not the, like this, this is not the best for value, especially because people are very concerned about the value, especially with games being the prices they are right now. I am not. I did not do this for the money. I did not do this for the value, even though I buy based on value propositions. That's just like, oh, this is a good deal. And if I ever had to, it would be fine. But my brain doesn't really consider that. Like, my brain is like, I just want to own these. It's not like, this is a good deal. So I try to tell other people who are going to be less like me, do this because if you ever decide you actually need to get out of it, and this is the shovelware portion, no one's buying the shovelware. No one no one wants this. It won't sell. It'll be sitting there until a weirdo like me comes in and makes you an offer on it. So take only have good stuff. So if you decide you want to do something else, and if you're in the hobby long enough, like, hey, Stefan, you know, Tyler, as we've talked, you may decide you want to do other things. And that's fine. Yep. That's not that you, that's not you copying out. That's not you be portraying the hobby or any of this other weird shit that people want to. You're allowed to change your mind and you're allowed to go do other things. So I try to make it so people who are more likely to change their mind than me have the best ability to do so. I have a question. Uh, yeah. You, you, you and I have talked uh, um, uh, numerous times about opportunities where you were thinking about moving for various reasons. Do you think that were you to move, would you then consider trimming down? Because um, that shit, like anytime I think about moving... <laughs> For me, even just the stuff that I still have, it's just like, uh, I never, I never want to have to move any of this ever. So yeah, like still considering moving in the not so distant future, a couple years or whatever. Uh, does that give me a panic attack while, while thinking about it? a little bit? Uh, but I've also been taking steps with my, the type of boxes I buy, knowing what games fit in what type of tubs specifically in single layers. So no, I'm not thinking about trimming. And people say, well, you just said you're like keeping, you love all this stuff, but you also say you would sell it. Yeah, if the right offer came around, yeah, I would, because it is just stuff. If someone said like, hey, let me give you $2 million for your stuff right now, would you take it? It's like, yeah, why? Because I, I love my family. I could just like be like, here, well, we, we now have $2 million and I still am making money and then can go buy other games later. Yeah, you can always do it again. Right. Like, Honestly, like as just like a as a something to do, I have recently just been thinking about putting uh, a card only NES set back together because that's one of the sets that I sold. Um, uh, I was going to say you would pro like I, I imagine one day you'll get a nostalgia bug and you'll pick up some more games. Yeah, and but that was as just like because like like even like I already have like a um, Super Famicom. I do still actively collect. I never stopped collecting, but that is exclusively something that I do to give me something to do at conventions. Because generally, the things that I 
am actively looking for are not things that appear at conventions. So, um, so I, you know, and I want conventions to be more than just like me, like hanging out with my friends, which I love, don't get me wrong, but like, I also want to be there for like, to have something to look for. Uh, and so super Famicom is that thing for me. Um, but, uh, and I was thinking about adding NES to that list and just like slowly picking up the set. Cause I, 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 I never did get rid of my stadium events. Yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, you got that's, the hardest uh, part. You've that's done literally it. half the set. <laughs> yeah. yeah Value wise, you've done it. You're halfway yeah. there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's my very long winded answer to, uh, I did not change my mind. I've just evolved. Uh, I made all of my decisions suit the larger purpose later down the line. Does that make sense? Is that, is that clear enough? I, I know I ramble, so. All right. We did it, guys. We talked about what our goals. Uh, did we talk enough about what we're doing in the future? I'm doing the same thing. That's, you know, keep, <laughs> Me keep too. Doing this. I don't know. I, I mean, guess I, I guess I'm doing the same thing. Uh I mean, you I, talk you know, about I'm, what your I'm pivot a pivoty was. person. I could see myself pivoting if, like, if things get really bad for some reason, and the games I'm after are like hundreds and thousands of dollars. Like, I'm all about like finding the most interesting thing that is hard to find but cheap and still fun to collect. So, yeah, not that I'm specifically collecting like cheap things. Like, I'm buying a lot of dumb, expensive games that no one cares about. But, uh, like, I don't want I don't want to be in the most competitive markets. That's not fun to me because it's too crazy. It's more fun finding something that no one cares about. Let's complete our Scott Adams uh, text adventure set. Come on, me and you, Tyler. Mm, I mean, those are those are some pretty popular games. They are. They're cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. Uh, Johnny, that sounds like you, uh, something Castle. that you might have been buying. But we got, should we do a a collector's question? Not a collector's question. Ask the podcast. People from the Discord yeah. are asking us questions. It is Johnny, a collector's that part question. Of the show? Yeah, it's a collector's question. It's a collector's question. So we have a separate channel for collector's questions because people were we needed a channel for people to ask questions not to be on the show just like hey help me with this collecting thing. yeah so it's called ask the podcast anyway kanakis asks how much time does it take to be a podcaster how much time do you spend preparing how long is the uncut session including setup how long does it take uh, to do all the work after um and how does it compare to being a youtuber I, I mean, all right, I'll say I, Tyler, you're say, the best one. I do. The yeah, you, you should start the and show. then we can we can bolt it back. We can bolt onto it. Yeah, uh, I mean, for the uh, for the other guys, they uh, they show up for four hours a week uh, or four hours every other week and they're good. So I'd say usually like maybe an hour before the show, we spend uh, preparing a lot of the topics we know pretty well. So we could just kind of get a general outline, get some notes together and uh do some things i would say there's few topics that really we spend a lot of time preparing for the most recent one i can remember uh the history of limited editions i was doing like weeks of on and off research trying to find the earliest limited editions and i am still finding things that like we could have brought up on the show uh like there's i know like we brought up one or two of those origin pre-order things from around 1990 like uh uh, ultima 6 we brought up but there might be an ultima 5 and i figured out and i found out there was a wing commander uh that you could also pre-order and we didn't bring that up on the show so anyway sometimes we do a lot of preparation sometimes we don't 
but you uh, know, like, so you want to collect? Uh, so does anyone want to collect Arzone? I did an inordinate amount of research for an hour-long topic. Basically, the dumber the show is, the the less anyone cares about it, the more work we've probably put into preparing for the show. Probably. Meanwhile, we do an NES episode, and we're like, ah, let's just talk about Nintendo for 45 minutes. We probably got NES covered. Right, guys? Yeah, we don't need to prep at all. I mean, uh, we did prep pretty hard for that Odyssey 2 episode. episode oh, my God. Uh, no one listened to that, so no one even knows what you're talking about. I uh, know. <laughs> um... But yeah, so like four hours to to fair because we're doing like a three hour show, and then like sometimes we talk after dark for an hour or two. Um, but then how much does it take after? I would say like whatever, however long the podcast is, double it, and that's probably how long it takes to edit and really get everything out. And you know, I listen at like one point six speed when I'm editing, but then I've got to like check for new Patreons. I've got to uh, do the the outro where I do the errata and shout out all the Patreons. I've got to uh, do the uh, the thing that fixes all the levels and, and makes the podcast sound good and removes the background noise, that takes a little bit of time. Actually posting, it takes a little bit of time. Um, and like, I've cut things out. Like I used to make uh, an Instagram post for every show and I used to do intros, which I just recently cut out just because like things take a lot of time with podcasts, um, especially because we do have to do it on like a regular schedule. But comparing it to YouTube, it's like not even comparable. YouTube videos take so long for like a decent scripted YouTube video. Because every second is not only scripted, like the whole point of a podcast is that it's generally conversational, unscripted, and it sounds better like that. At least that's how we have a style of our podcast. Yeah. Um, but like I script every line of every YouTube video I do, and then every second of everything you say needs some visual aid on the screen. So, I mean, I'm not even a good YouTuber. I just go to Google Images and I like scale and crop images and throw them around the screen. But uh yeah, YouTube takes a, a very, very long time. That's why I don't make a lot of YouTube videos, because Collector's Quest takes up all my time for that kind of hobby thing. Yeah, even the stuff that I've done, which for the Art and Nintendo Power stuff, which is mostly me talking at the camera, it's still an enormous amount of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine being a YouTuber and having like another creative hobby on top of that, just because being a YouTuber would take up all your time. This is also a good time to remind the audience that we have tried multiple times to get Tyler to not do all of this work. We've tried multiple times to hire someone to do it, and he will not allow it. Nope, it's not happening. Right. Uh, Kanakis also asks, "What? Hold on, if, hold oh, on. I want, Johnny I want to, I want to. Yeah, I got, I got some other stuff because there, there's a part of the podcast that people don't even see and that we that we don't even talk about. Tyler and I and and Stefan like." We also have long-running, continual conversations that are happening that affect what is on and what the podcast is about, like asking questions, like me at my computer. So it's like, this is all the work you see, but there's also, when I'm mining ideas, the, it, the podcast consumes a large amount of my brain, okay? Because I care about the podcast a lot. So I'm thinking a lot about things you aren't even considering and like i'm talking to tyler constantly and it's not like that's not work or anything i enjoy talking to tyler i enjoy talking to stefan and i enjoy looking this stuff up but if we're talking about the consumption of your life it's a lot it's a lot and then also if you're like also i want to go look and hunt for games and stuff it, it, it it's a it's my full-time hobby my full-time hobby is the podcast now, and my secondary hobby is games, and then all these other stupid hobbies I have. And then, like, if you talk about the other part of the podcast that you don't is, when we interact with people on the Discord and everything else, so things that are part of the podcast and, like, just friends we have that, like, listen to the podcast or have some thoughts, 
the engagement, and I'm this is not a complaint, but it's a lot. It's a lot of time. Th- these are hidden time sinks that you won't think about. And it's not like, like I have a bunch of friends that, you know, just listen to the podcast or just like good friends now that I'm chatting with every day. And a lot, some of it comes from the podcast or it's just about games. My hobby is this one big podcast thing all rolled up into one. And the amount of time that takes is like every moment I'm not working or being with my family is the time it takes. And and that's not a complaint because I like it. I'm doing, I'm again, obviously there's not so much money coming into this podcast that I'm like, it's because of the money. No, I don't like I, we do this for the love. So uh, if you are thinking about starting a podcast, don't let me dissuade you. But along with all the just the nuts and bolts work Tyler said, that's all the ancillary stuff that comes with it. Like if you look at Tyler's, I, I'm constantly bugging Tyler for stuff. Uh, just like, hey, Tyler, what do you think about this? Tyler, what, what about this? Side? Tyler, Tyler, Tyler. And it's just like, God, shut up. Stop talking to me. I'm trying to sleep. It's a uh, three hour difference where I am, Johnny. Or it's too early in the morning. I'm still asleep, Johnny. Stop talking at me. So, uh, just things to consider. Uh, there is a there's a bonus question here that I skipped. It was, uh, do you see any room for future efficiency gains? So I don't know how much we can do. I already cut out the intro, but um, I we have made the podcast somewhat more produced. Um, and I like the the audio stuff is good. I mean, people want a better sounding podcast, but just things like the intro music and the intro and the outro, like. I don't think people actually care about that stuff. And if we literally just did a podcast from when we start recording to uh, when we finished recording and literally just threw that through the audio thing and then threw it up, I think it would be 95% uh, as good as what we have now. And it would take way less time to edit. And I think people would be fine with it. So if you do ever do a podcast, just do it as simple as possible. And don't try to make it this huge, big production because, man, yeah, editing the- sucks. <laughs> The intro, I, I like that you cut the intro because that was a good efficiency gain. Um, I like that we just talk about what the title is in the beginning because you always double up anyways. Like you create this yeah, bumper I know, I know. and then say so the it, thing it you're just going to say. Um, yeah, not worth it. The music is like fine, whatever. Um, but I think you need it in the beginning to get people you know, used to it to the point where they're just like hitting skip. You know, the first, they're like, all right, hit the 30 second skip. I, I'm not interested in this bullshit. Let's get to the, to the episode. So, yeah. uh, I think you need it at first and then you can cut it off, but I think you need to start with it. Also, I think I would, since this person, it sounds like they're interested in starting a podcast. I would say that like, and, and like, you know, when it comes to like YouTube, it, uh, I think people just say, oh yeah, just use the, whatever gear you can find. Just start making content. Um, I would say probably for podcasting, just pick up a decent microphone. Like, I'm not saying like go out and like get crazy for your first time out, but like podcasting since like the audio is the only way in which that person is like consuming your content. If you sound like shit, people will not want to listen to you. Yep. Um, And so like, Again, you don't have to, it, I'm not telling you to go out and buy a thousand dollar road mic, like, but, but, you know, just not the onboard webcam mic, uh, you know, uh, you know, spend, a, you know, a couple hundred bucks and, uh, and you can use that for other stuff too. You know, you, you, you use microphone for zoom calls and shit too. So, um, also yeah, if your just, goal is reach podcasting is not the way to do it. Probably um sure isn't we have like a few thousand listeners and i listen to a bunch of video game shows with like way less than that and you go look at a youtube video and it's like oh it's only got sixty thousand views man no one knows about this channel (laughs) 
So uh, a lot less people listening to podcasts than just putting on YouTube videos. Yep. And people ask us like, oh, are you going to like, can you put it on YouTube too? And it's like, uh, like we could put the audio out there, but like doing video and like having someone like cut images and stuff would be so much extra work. And Tyler does not want to do that work. Um, if we didn't, if we didn't edit, it yeah. might be doable, but we do. Yeah. So well, one, I don't want to do the work. And uh, two, I don't, I don't want the negative comments on YouTube that would make me feel bad. And then three, there are probably so don't many people. Don't we get people, negative like, comments on other ways though? I mean, we I know could, we get but who's going to go through the effort of like signing up for a SoundCloud account to give us a negative comment? Uh, I mean, <laughs> no, they, they, go to I, they go to iTunes and tell us. Okay, uh, they, they leave us bad reviews, sure. They, they, uh, they, there's a few good ones. On, there's a few gems telling us how dumb we are. <laughs> but it's a, it's a lot easier to, to leave a negative comment on, on YouTube. And that, that demotivates me. I don't want to hear how terrible I am. Uh, like, I don't even like if I, I put like a lot of effort into a couple of my YouTube videos and like, I don't understand, like who would thumbs down this? Even if you disagree, just click it off, man. I spent a long time on this. Come on. And it's like, literally it'll be like one thumbs down. And it's like, what the fuck guy? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I uh, and then also I feel bad because like we have so many people who listen to the podcast as a podcast that the YouTube video would get like 17 views. And then I'd feel like, oh, no one listens to us. We suck. So, uh, not going to do YouTube. Uh, I mean, also our episodes are like three hours long. Like what would be feasible if more, if we went like, um, the CUP podcast where we just like, that was an interesting segment, cut it up into 10 minutes and oh put my it God. as a video. No, like they do that. Cause it's like a YouTube business for them. That, like that's we are what I'm so saying. not a business. I, I know that's what, but I'm saying like in the, in the YouTube world, putting up a three hour video where you don't actually see people's talking faces or something. No one, no one watches that. No one yeah, wants to watch right. that. It, we would be, we would be uh, algorithmed to death out of YouTube, so it would be pointless to do so. You're right. <laughs> All right, just because Kanakis kind of uh, monopolized this section, uh, I'm gonna do one more question. Tom Nook asks, "What are your three favorite ice cream flavors?" Mine, in no particular order, are coffee, pistachio, Rocky Road. Uh, Tom Nook, excellent choices. I'm gonna say uh, Neapolitan. Get the best of all three. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. But just, uh, Neapolitan is the ice cream of birthdays in my my brain. Like uh, for some reason, and uh, at, we'd be at my grandma's house, and whatever birthday we were having there, Neapolitan ice cream always came out. So I do have like a weird nostalgia for it, especially Neapolitan ice cream sandwiches. Like, hey, you get little bites of goodness all over, even though it's so cold, it just all tastes like the same thing. Um, there's not really unique flavor differences. For me, um, I really like Americone Dream. Uh, that's um, pretty good. That's a Ben and Jerry's. I'm also very fond of Moose Tracks. And then... Americone um, Dream has the potato chips in it. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think so. Yes. Uh, the waffle. It's got the waffle bits in it. Okay. Which I, I just like. know it's like a little bit salty. Yeah. And yeah, you'll, you'll see all my sweet. I like a little salty. And then I'm really fond of a salted caramel. That's me. Uh, Stefan? Uh, these are all thrifty brand specifically, which I don't know. I, I don't even know if you have Rite Aid. Do you have Rite Aid back there uh, in, in the in the backwoods, Tyler? Uh, yeah, we sure do. Okay. Super so, nostalgic. Yeah, I don't know. For, I for actually don't know if there's a Rite Aid near me. But So it, it's <laughs> the it, thrifty is the brand. It, originally, Rite Aid, the, the establishment was called thrifty. They got bought out. They became Rite Aid. They kept the thrifty ice cream brand. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so all of my favorite, uh, ice creams are 
uh, thrifty. And if I had to pick, Chocolate Malted Crunch would be far and away it's a good the one. best. Solid pick. Far good, and away the best. Really good at thrifty, too. Yeah, yeah. Distant second, probably Butter Pecan. Mm, and another then, solid choice. And then Black Cherry is a like a, that 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 was like my childhood pick. That's a hundred percent nostalgia. It's not that great. I'm gonna tell you right now. Yeah, not that I, great. Black Cherry, but, not uh, feeling it. Yeah, but Black Black Cherry was my was my childhood favorite. So that's that gives me. The, yeah, you know, uh, can't be can't be undersold. But uh, the Rainbow Sherbert at uh, Thrifty, solid, yeah, so excellent. good. Yeah, 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 that would be my top. That's actually all, my top. All of their choice. ice creams are are are, yeah. are amazing. Like they're they're great. That and they have that special scooper, which you can now buy on Amazon. Yes, but I have two of them. <laughs> I heard they don't work that well, though. Uh, you know what? It's it's you know um, the 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 they weren't made for small cartons. They were made for scooping out of giant fucking five gallon vats, yeah. right? So like once you get a few scoops in, you know, because it cuts holes basically, right? Yeah, in, it's you a, know, cylinders. It's in an ice cream thing. punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once you get once you get a few of them out of the center of your small, you know, half gallon ice cream tub, then it gets annoying. Um, but uh, but that first scoop, man, it, it's it's for the nostalgia. It's good. It's Is good it? Stuff. Okay. Because right. I was thinking about trying because I have a lot of like Thrifty was the ice cream store of that was like by the house that we could walk to and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I have a, I have a lot of summer nostalgia for thrifty. It very similar to like the zapper gun click that yep. cha ching cha ching from that thing. Uh, it's I, I I haven't been known to like be in the kitchen for some other non ice cream related reason and seeing the seeing the scooper and just like clicked it a couple times just for that. Like, yeah, well, I mean, you 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 know where you live, you know where the right it is right there by your house. That that's my childhood thrifties. No, yeah. nice. So. Do they still have ice cream in that one? I haven't been there. Oh, no, they in a sure long do. Time. Oh, nice. So, yeah, right. You walk in the door, it's right there on the left. It's the same bar that's been there since the 70s. It's Wait, yeah, the bar? There's had... an ice cream bar at this Rite Aid? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. I thought it was just like a frozen section at like a. No, 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 no. There's a no, no, ice cream like, place. No, yeah. you have to be trained. Like you'd be a register person, and then they would like you get to the register, and you're like, I would also like ice cream. Oh, I 100% have never seen anything like that. That's kind what of. Oh, yeah. What is the lowest price you you remember paying for a scoop, Johnny? Uh, thirty nine cents a scoop. Yeah, because I I remember something like yeah I think it was twenty five in South Pass. Yeah, it was, was the, like thirty nine, and then I remember like now it's a couple bucks, but yeah, now like and once upon a time I remember because a scoop was like sixty, it got to like sixty cents, but for a dollar you could get two scoops. And you could choose either waffle cone or the regular thrifty oh, cone. Oh, see, I was I was never allowed. Like the waffle cone was like too too rich for my parents. Blood. Twenty five <laughs> cents extra. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, for yeah, that yeah, yeah. Cone. No waffle cones for us. Cake cones only. Yeah, yeah. Or a I, cup. you know, like I think the <laughs> waffle cone, the waffle cone is definitely the better flavor choice. Yeah. But the nostalgia choice is the cake cone. Like yeah, that's no, how I want sure. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I'll I'll go with I'll do the best of both. Well, not best of both worlds because this is a cup and a, and a cake cone. But I'll get it in a cup and then just add add the cake cone on top. I'm sorry. What is a cake cone? Is that not like a regular ice cream cone? Is it soft? It, it is. No, it, it it is. It's just that's what it's called. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just like that yellowy kind of you know where it's like a cylinder and then a smaller cylinder under it. Yep. Okay. Just making sure. Yeah, rather than a waffle cone, which is, you know, a cone. So, uh, 
let me preface my answer by saying the Fleo right under this question says, knowing Tyler, he'll say that he prefers gelato. And I don't understand how I'm profiled or like, what, what do you mean? What vibe do I give off? (laughs) I don't understand. What vibe do you give off that you would, uh, that people assume you would pick the old person option? What? What Gelato's an old person option? I don't understand. I mean, gelato is just Italian ice cream. It's a slightly different textured ice cream. Like, Anyway, Delicious. I get Talenti gelato. <laughs> you uh, sure do. <laughs> and my favorite flavors are mint and pistachio, the two green ones. And uh, my favorite flavor of actual ice cream is cheesecake. Relatively new flavor I discovered. It tastes like cheesecake, and it's amazing. You should get it. I find it. that I more know. in uh, frozen yogurt these days. Not, I don't, not it's all the same to me. I don't care. They, they like Well, no, like, there's this bit, like... The best thing about if you ever watch The Good Place is where they correctly identify that frozen yogurt is like hell's version of ice cream. (laughs) You're just like, this is a very sad imitation that we've all talked ourselves into as being good, but really it's just sad. The one thing that I like about frozen yogurt is this, the, the, like the machines they use for it, where they have like the middle lever that'll let you swirl yeah. two, two flavors together. And yeah. that's what I was just thinking about because the frozen yogurt place o- over here, Johnny has, uh, has uh, strawberry as the alternate flavor for cheesecake. And it's amazing. You know what I don't like is they have that there. And they don't think enough about their flavor combinations when they put the things. You're like, you would never mix these two. Are you insane? Like, put two mixable ones together. Yes. Yeah. It bothers it bothers me endlessly every time I walk in there. I'm like, I wouldn't like could these two flavors would be mixed like it's like coffee and a, mint. Like, it'd just be like a natural mix. You're like, oh, chocolate and vanilla. Like you yeah, like yeah. that's like a common swirl, and they'd be like. Here's chocolate and dog shit. Why I put those two together? Do you want to mix them? And you're like, no. What? What is happening? <laughs> so, anyway, uh, I will say uh, I don't know if this is something you would predicted of, of Tyler. For whatever reason, I'm being profiled here. I do put my ice cream in the microwave for a few seconds before eating it to soften it up. How do mm, you feel about nope. that? Nope. Uh, Gross. Don't like hard ice cream. Nope. I just nah, I, I mean, I'm with you, but I just let it naturally thaw. I would not put it in the like no, the, putting no. it in the microwave will change its textures. Leave like, it on the counter for yeah, five yeah, minutes. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. yeah, come on. yeah like, impatient. I, let me eat. No, I pull it out, no, put it on the counter, and then the I get like, the bowls. Yeah, I, I think, I think I've talked about this before. Where I will just like canned food. I will just eat that shit out of the can because who has time to take it out of the can and put it in the microwave? Like canned raviolis, delicious. Just Gross. give me a fucking fork. Uh, so <laughs> I am totally that guy. I am totally that guy, and yet I'm not putting fucking uh, ice cream in the microwave. I will absolutely leave it on the counter. All right. Um, let's get off this long ass ice cream topic. And what are you guys buying and playing? All right, uh, I'm playing still some Last of Us. Woo! And uh, buying Tyler. Do you want to know what I'm buying besides text adventures? Do, do yes. you want to know? Is it stupid? It's Wii games. Yeah, okay. I, told you, I bought like 40 <laughs> Wii games. Stupid. Yeah, yes, it yeah. is. I bought I bought some Halloween games too. I bought some Wii games. Uh, I won't talk about the other thing because it hasn't got here yet. So I'll save that for the next show. Let's let's go to the old eBay purchase history. Mm, yes, the Count, Scott Adams, Atari. Uh, it's not an Atari Atari game. Like I think it's a disc-based game, but yeah. Uh, text adventure. Woo. Those are the best. Oh, Tyler, 
it's coming today, so I'll say it. But that hangman we talked about in the last episode. Oh, you got it? <laughs> I did, yeah. Yeah. The grimmest fucking, I don't like, creative software presents hangman, hang math, uh, two home ed- educational programs uh, where they've even, like, on the box, they failed to get hangman right uh, because it says, like, the blank letter is an O, but sc- the the word is school. So they've already guessed O. So one O is there. So the other O should be present. I don't know why they got this so horribly wrong. But uh, yeah, it's got an executioner dragging a dude to a noose. Like an old, old like prison style noose. It, it is just a grim, a grim image for educational software for children. And it's for the Commodore uh, VIC-20. So there you go. Fantastic. So fucking weird. It's this cassette-based game. Like that I mean that art. I hope everyone goes and looks at that art. It's you're just like, what is happening here? Why is anyone doing this? Anyways, that's what I bought. What about you, uh, Stefan? Stefan hasn't gone in a long time. Like Stefan. Yeah. yeah. Uh I actually um I have been on a an, an an old republic kick again. I don't know what inspired me necessarily. Um God, what did inspire me? Was it Why Star Wars Obi-Wan? No, 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 strangely enough, although I did really enjoy Obi-Wan, um, but then I, I tend to like all Star Wars things, except for Book of Boba Fett was a disaster. Um, but um, but yeah, I've been playing The Old Republic, uh, going through the uh, Sith agent storyline, uh, which is probably the best storyline in that game. Um, and then as far as purchasing, well, I bought, uh, I've been... <laughs> I've been dabbling in like trying to build old magic decks that I used to have when I was a kid out of like only revised cards. And uh, and I've been doing that, strangely. Uh, I just finished off uh, my blue deck, uh, which I'm pretty happy with. It was not expensive. None of those cards are expensive. The ones that I'm using in my deck anyway. Mike, and, why wouldn't uh, you come to me? I have so much bulk. I don't know. It's just, it's just been a fun thing. I've just been, I don't know, maybe I'll look through. You got revised bulk? Because I'm only interested in revised. I mean, depends what you mean. Like, has to have the revised frame, or like, you want white border stuff? I have a bunch of white border stuff. It's got to be revised, yeah, yeah. Johnny. Did you hear yeah. the man? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the white border stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yes, I have a bunch of white border stuff. Yeah, not unlimited. The thing before, you know, like, well, I think it was like technically like third, right? Third third edition. Um, that's, Wait, that's Stefan, are you building chi- like your shitty childhood decks or like the decks yes. that were good when you were a kid? No, no, no. My shitty childhood decks. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was well, close as I can to like to memory. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I could I could memorize a lot of my, my deck list that I used in constructive play. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just and it's just like I don't even play. I just like I like having them like the my I have a my green deck. Um, that I put together, and um, and it's just a, basically a stress toy. Like I, it, when I'm on Zoom calls and stuff, I shuffle it, and it makes me feel good. Um, but uh, yeah, so I bought uh, I bought some cards for that. Uh, art wise, I picked up the um, I think the last major purchase that's going to be um, at the Game On Expo in Arizona in a couple weeks um, is the um, the Doctor Mario clay cover. Or uh, rather, the the dark the the Doctor Mario figure from that cover for Nintendo How's, Power. How does this shit still exist? I just don't understand. That's it's what I do, Tyler. 
Finding shit that doesn't exist. It is shouldn't what I do. exist. I would have spring cleaned that out three years after it was made. Been like, oh, what the fuck is this thing still doing around? Yeah, honestly, the, it's only like three inches tall, so that that one actually makes more sense as to someone just like stashing it in a drawer. Um, the Wiley ship, when I found that, that was like, I don't understand. This yeah. is a very large thing. Why does this still exist? Or like the uh, the track and field two shoes. Like, why? Um, but uh, but yeah, so I found that. Um, a couple other pieces I have in the works right now that I don't want to talk about just yet. But um, but things are in the works. I'm always. I mean, that's that's really where I'm putting all my attention. Um, oh, I bought. Uh, so I, I I did buy um one of the not the full size Master Chiefs, but the half size Master Chief statues. I bought one of those recently because if uh, you hadn't heard, uh, as of the end of next week, I will be gainfully employed by Bungie. Uh, and so I decided I wanted to get some Bungie stuff uh, for my office. So um, I got Master Chief. And then I also got, um, uh, years ago, someone had posted on an art group. Um, they had the prelims for the painted covers of Myth 1 and 2. And uh, and I was like, oh, I wonder if that Neat. guy still has those. And sure enough, he does. So uh, so we struck a deal, and uh, I am I am paying for those right now. Um, Day one at Bungie, Bungie super fan coming and look at me with my prelims for the Myth games. Exactly. Um, I mean, I really was a big fan of Myth. It was my uh, I, I did play quite a bit of Myth back in the day, um, and Marathon. But uh, all, you, all you computer gamers just fell off and became these console trash people. Well, I guess you're like an art person now, so you're, you're you don't even count. But uh, yeah, you're all trash. Yeah, he me. was wondering how he could get his nose higher in the air. Yeah. Yes, so he moved yeah. from computers yeah. to art. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you're all trash to me. Correct. All right. All right. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. All right. And uh, Tyler, what did you do to? Uh, I've been playing uh, uh, just the other day Beneath Apple Manor, which is also one of the games I bought, which is why I'm playing it. Um, I think it's pretty impressive. It's a 1978 game. I was playing the 1978 version. It was re-released a few times. It's the first roguelike game. It came out two years before Rogue, and it didn't inspire Rogue. I think they were developed you know, independently with similar ideas. Uh, but it's uh, a game you explore a randomly generated dungeon with a... With your guy, and you know, you go and you fight monsters, and you have to dive deeper. Horrifying in the apples, horrifying apples. What are you talking about? We're not talking about Apple Panic. Beneath Apple Manor, Apple games love making Apple puns with their magazine titles and their video games. But uh, yeah, you basically just level up and keep going down deeper and deeper into the dungeon until you randomly open a chest with the golden apple and win the game. And there are a lot of these early games from the 70s where people are like, oh, it's it's the, the first RPG. It's the, the first platformer. If you go to, like, Space Panic, it's the first platformer, and you can't jump. So it's like, eh, is it is it really the first platformer? But playing Beneath Apple Manor, you open a chest, and one of the things will do, it'll, like, have one of your stats. It'll have, like, this random effect. Or it will erase your map. Like, you're building your map as you're exploring each level of the dungeon, and one of the effects will be it erases your map. And it's such, like, a rogue thing to do, uh, to just, like, just like bullshit make you lose the game, kind of. The first time I played, I didn't make it out of the first room because I was just randomly overwhelmed with enemies and I couldn't move. And it just felt like, man, this is the rogue experience, and this is the first rogue game they ever made. It was just, it was so cool how shitty the game was to you. So really, we need to change the word uh, roguelike into beneath Apple manor-like is what I'm saying. 
Also, uh, you can make one move every about three seconds, not on purpose, just because the game was written in basic and runs so slow. So it is absolutely agonizing to play this game. I thought I was going to play it for like 45 minutes and like kind of get the idea of what's happening. And I was playing for hours just because the game runs so slowly. So maybe get an emulator and if there's a way to like crank the speed of that Apple CPU up. Uh, anyway, I bought Beneath Apple Manor, but I bought the placeholder one. Um so the game came out in 1978 and it was released in like this plain looking folio edition and it is absolutely rare and impossible to find as hell. So I got the 1982 re-release of it, which doesn't just have blocks for graphics. It has actual graphics. So it's definitely not the cool one to own. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm for some of these rare games, I want so many of them that I'm going to have to deal with some placeholders here. I got uh, Super Bomberman 5, the gold cartridge for Super Famicom. Uh, this was just a version of Super Bomberman 5 that was sold through Koro Koro Comic. Uh, technically a different game from Super Bomberman 5. All right, does it count? In this version of the game, there are three battle maps that are unlocked for you from the start when you put it in, and you have to unlock them yourself in the original game. Does it count, gold Super Bomberman 5? It counts. It counts, sure. Uh, and I'll then allow it. You'll allow it. Uh, and I got Tower of Druaga for the MSX. Um, hey! What? Why is that an A? I, I like that game. <laughs> you like Tower of Druaga? I like Druaga? that game a lot. I do, yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm collecting Tower of Druaga ports. When I was uh, started looking into, like, this this would be because I want the history of uh, RPGs, is what I'm collecting Tower Draga for. I, I don't know, it's not really an RPG, it's an arcade game, but it's clearly something the RPG genre is built upon in Japan. Um, for some reason, when I first was looking for Tower Draga, I thought the MSX was the first home port, and it's not true at all. It's the Famicom version, I think, is the first home port, but that's not interesting at all, because that it's, like, super common, that's, like, a $10 game complete in box. Uh, but I got in my mind that this was the first home version, and there's one sitting on Yahoo Japan for like $200, and I'm not spending $200 for this stupid cassette game. Uh, this was the first one in like two years that came up with a no-reserve auction, so I got it for like 45 bucks. So, felt good about that. And uh, those are the main things of mine. You did yeah. it! Woo! Everyone cares about those games. I care about I got a woo for Tower Druaga, so you know what? You did. That's better than I normally do on the show. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know what? I was giving you a double woo. Because of, for MSX, because I I will also woo for MSX. All right, cool. Because there are there is still a small handful of games on the MSX that I would totally buy if they ever came up. Uh, all right, Which tell ones? us what they are so we Radius can buy two. them first. Yeah, yeah we no. we have to cut you off at the knees. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think we did it, guys. Where can we find you, Stefan? Sure. Uh, well, physically. Uh, if you want to to hang out with me amongst all of my art, I mean, yeah, I mean, I Your guess house. you could come to my house. <laughs> you could come to my house. That that's you know, just slide into my DMs. Uh, but uh, slide into something. Yeah, slide. Yeah, that's right. Slide in my DMs. So you can slide into something else. Um, but uh, so I will be at the Game on Expo in Phoenix, Arizona, in August. Uh, in the, so the first, smart for Arizona uh, to host. Just game shows in the middle of the summer heat in Arizona, not yeah. like they're winter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that'll be. Uh, I think it's the first. It's the first weekend of uh, of August. Um, 
and uh, I'm, there's going to be a bunch of stuff there that I've never shown before. I have a new exhibit for um, for photo positives that I'm really excited about. I am going to have the the Mario statue there. Uh, well, I'm I'm going to try to bring all of my all of my clay sculptures. Um, I'm actually I have a new uh, a new system in which to transport them that I'm excited to uh, debut on this trip. So. Uh, I'm gonna go up there and riding shotgun on my way up there is gonna be Red the Game Shark. Whoa! So he's, <laughs> so he's he's gonna be volunteering for that event, uh, and uh, I need to print him a T-shirt. Now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but uh, yeah, so so we're gonna be up there, uh, and then uh, also in September there's a uh, a show called uh, Megabit that is a Simi Valley local show. So I'll be back? Yeah. So I'll be there again this year in September. Um, and uh, and th- that's like literally, it's like a mile away. So it's really easy for me to do. Um, and then also later in October, I will be returning to the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. That is the new hotness that just hit my calendar that I got clearance on to actually go do. So uh, that one I generally co-host with the Video Game History Foundation. Uh, Frank and Kelsey are going to be helping out there. Um, and I think they're doing their own thing too. But um, but uh, but yeah, so that, that's going to be a, a co-show with uh, the Video Game History Foundation. Um, and uh, And then those other two shows earlier this year and that's the way to, to hang out with me physically this year uh and then otherwise uh find me on twitter mostly uh it's at art of np but if you basically just google art of Power, you'll find me everywhere um but that's uh, so yeah uh at art of np on twitter and uh art of nintendo power with underscores in it um on instagram and then art of nintendo power on uh on youtube yeah. All right, Tyler. I'm Default Gen. Get me on the video game Sage Instagram or uh, friend me on Discord. A lot of people are talking to me on Discord now. I guess it's the cool new way to talk to people, um, just like private messages on Discord. Uh, I'll also be at Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Johnny, we were just talking about flights yesterday, and you told me to put in a, a tracker because the flight yep. was like $600. Um, and I got an update. And now the flight is like seven hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, because now it's a Saturday. Oh, okay, it's a Saturday now. Okay, yeah. Uh, anyway, flights are crazy right now. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, like, uh, if I didn't love you guys, I would just be like, uh, no, I'm not going to Portland. I'm not gonna spend like fifteen hundred dollars just on a vacation to a game expo. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to either make my my trip longer. I'm trying to figure out a way to basically reduce. You the have price. absolutely spent more money on stupider things. Yeah, I know. I mean, like the 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 most <laughs> memorable times in life are like hanging out with friends in real life. So I have to make the trip. I'm just gonna try to find ways to like make the dates different to get that flight. You know, cost those down. times where you fly out to hang out with us and then go hang out with your other friends. Yeah, I could go hang out with my college roommates instead of you guys. Yeah. That was awesome too. Yeah. That, that was like yeah, an Oktoberfest celebration, unlike anything I'd ever seen. His whole extended <laughs> family was there, and they were all acting like maniacs. It was awesome. I hope he doesn't listen to the show and hear that comment. But. uh... <laughs> <laughs> it was hey, Stephen, so I, I'm, serious. I, I'm trying to get him to come out here uh, before he goes to Portland. Oh, cool! That'd be cool. Yeah. And then I'm gonna fly out of Santa Barbara. I'm, you're, I'm assuming you're taking a truck. I am taking a truck. Cool. Can I put a box in your truck? Uh, maybe. 
Yeah. Question mark. Question mark. Yeah, I probably don't actually have a box that you have to take. But hey, speaking of the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, Collector's Quest will have a booth. Woo! What? Woo! Yep, we have a booth. Yeah. That's and, awesome. Yeah, we're, we have a booth and we're sharing it with Mr. CIB, who will have... He's got a ton of good stuff for sale, so you're definitely going to want to check out that. And we'll have probably some buttons and stuff out that you can come and help yourself to and, you know... One of the hosts will be there, probably me, because Tyler hates that. Um, so I'll oh, probably 100%. be sitting there. Yeah. So. Like, Pat the NES Punk is like a celebrity among like retro game people. And he was just like sitting at Portland. Like, I'm sure he sold an occasional book or two, but he's just like sitting there lonely. Like, sometimes someone comes up and talk to him. And we are like, nothing on the retro game scene. So who would ever want to talk to us? Like, to be clear, this is a booth where we are going to be. Or, or you and like Mr. CIB and some other people are going to be like selling stuff, but is also like 50% there because it's a convenient place for us to put our bags down in the middle of yep. the show floor. <laughs> yep. And uh, way, that, that's, that's going to be the other thing, like uh, space permitting, like if you've got a bag or something and you are a patron, uh, you will be allowed to come and drop, drop what you can. Like, like I said, for patrons only, and space permitting, like as much as we can, if you need to like drop something during the show, like a backpack or something, we're gonna we're gonna try and accommodate that for you. No bombs, please. Yeah. Um, Thanks, <laughs> Johnny. I have to say something before we move on yeah. because you mentioned the word CIB, and it has finally happened after many years. I was in conversation with a coworker, and they said CIB, pronouncing it as a word. They Kib? said sib. They said sib. <laughs> Oh, is it, and it Sib? Save those and, syllables. And it, and it took me a hot minute to figure out what the fuck they were talking about. <laughs> Did you then beat them with like a, a length of rope? No, I laughed. I could not. I could not hold it in. I, I did laugh reasonably hard <laughs> on a Zoom call. He's just like, uh, oh God, no, that's yeah. not a thing. Stop it. Yeah, he said, he said Sib. And I was like, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> you know, it means complete in the box. Yeah, sure. exactly. That's exactly how the conversation went. He's like, you know, complete in box. Sib. Sib. Come on. Uh, all right. Well, let's <laughs> let, let's get us out of here, guys. If you want to find me, you can find me mainly on our Discord, which you can get to by joining our Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash Collectors Quest for as little as two or as much as six, but four dollars is the sweet spot where you get the extra content. So, anyways, if you want to find me, you can do that, or you could just message me on Discord. I'm Johnny underscore Iuchi on Instagram, and uh, just same thing on uh, on the Discord if you need to find me. That's it for the show. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for allowing us to get to 200 episodes. I can't believe we've done this. 200 times. It's actually more than 200 times with all the other little stuff we've done. You've done this 200 times. And all, yeah. the, all the bonus. Con- True, but I I can't believe uh, anyone has enabled me to keep talking to them about video games because this is madness and I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. So I was like, I guess I'll talk to the internet. Maybe they'll listen. And like, I, I didn't feel like I could join in on forums because too much had already been said. So I didn't feel good jumping into a middle of a conversation. I'm like, I'll just do a podcast. And now people listen to us. That's insane. You guys are crazy. You, I'll, I'll walk away and talk to myself yeah, in the corner. Yeah, I'll, I'll be over here with my microphone. See how you like that. <laughs> Anyways. That's it for the show. Thanks so much. Bye. That is our show. 
I've got nothing. You think people would notice if I just cut these last five minutes off the show? I'll probably get the, the shows out two days earlier because I'd stop procrastinating it. Thank you to 8-Bit, apebit.bandcamp.com, like the monkey. He does our intro music. And thank you to the patrons, Richard Patron number one, Bowden, Canadian Variant Alert, Chris Glidden, Nintendo World Champion, Daniel Jacksvick, High End Collector, Andrew Brim, Greeting Stranger, I'm not surprised to see Andrew Shelton around here. 50 Hertz is good enough for me, Andre. Video games were meant to be slabbed. Brandon Ackley, Brian Gupta, and Pocky and Rocky with Becky. The Strictly Limited Super Rare Bruno. Coin-operated Cameron Couch. Fat Cat Collector, Chris Jackson. Chris SNK, too many NSX... Every time. Too many NES accessories, Morozek, Johnny's GBA hookup, coffee with Mr. Saturn, playing with power, Connor Strange, the last game you need for the set, Corey O'Brien, unpunched hang tab, Dustin Beagle, he has returned to judge this city, Eric Addison, man of Nintendo in the world of Nintendo, Funky Brewster, what are you buying, GBO metric, another vinyl collector, Grizzly X Bear, the actual Shinobi, Jasonic the Kid, Red Pyramid Thing, Jonathan Shados, Joseph Garris, he's just out here having a good time achieving his goals. Proud of you. The Nintendo Tape Archivist, Joseph Leo. Joe, you're talking to me about if you want to be like full-time 8-bit Nintendo guy, full NES set, all the international stuff, all the Famicom stuff, go for it. Go for it. Someone's got to do it, and it's going to be you, and we all know it's going to be you. Lance, Lord Hardstyle Z, The Degenerate, Matt Fall, Mint Condition, Mora Bros, Mr. CIB, get your loose Genesis carts out of here. Nicholas, Mad Dog, McCree, DiMaggio, Land employee, Platform Agnostic, Red the Game Shark, the Famicom Box, Retro Game Enthusiast, they call him that on the LJN podcast as well. They could be Ghosts and Goblins twice, Sheffish, Sean, the Gamer Collective, the Newcraft, who could beat Mega Man without the pause trick, previously unknown variant, Tim Walker, from the internet, Todd Fisher, can't put limits on collecting, VG Collectaholic, the Willennium, Will Joe, Keeper of the Zelda variant, Zero X Def Code, previous game collector, Adam Kavanaugh. Someone was in the room with me and they just left because I'm shouting. Getting the full PS2 set because Steppenwolf, all caps, no gods or kings, only Andy Lancaster, what a 9.8, plus plus Benji, the actually rare bird dog gaming, another YouTube video about stupid rare stuff that's not rare, I love it, dropping the Mario 64 penguin off the map, Brandon Chalker, Brandon Rogers, whose favorite episode is the wrestling episode, Christopher Piper, still shaking from what he found at Goodwill, still finding deals in 2022, Colton Murphy, a winner is him, David Green, Derek Lauer, who made me edit this show, Don Libby, the hero of time, Double Ugly presents Double Ugly, the official game of the movie, actually understands the Zelda timeline, Jeff Pierce, Jeff the Game Boy Ferris, he is error, Jeff Russell, Jeremy Jarvis, here for the Pog Talk, Joe actually plays his games, Champ Pity, Video Game Art Collector, because video games are art, Justin Chichio, Strands Type Game, Chris Shipley, Lateral Movement, who's got a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up. What a horrible night to have living in bits! Michael posting in the Discord right now, Chiara Monty, Nancy Hollenbach, Pro Skater, Nick the Video Game Database Morgan, Homebrew Mastermind, Vertov, off the map, NZ Collector, the other guy who collects Korean releases, Peaceful Games. He told me the other day he's never heard of Divinity Original Sin 2. I literally think it's the best RPG 
that has ever been made ever in the history of computer RPGs. He's never even heard of it. It's not even a computer game. It's ported to everything. Oh man, dude, come on. It's so good. I don't know. If you like JRPGs, maybe, maybe it's not for you. But if you like Western RPGs, oh my God. Dungeon Master Reed Stubenick, the promoter, retro RPG podcast, Tex who collects for Jaguar, Tom Obscure Variant Chaser Chase, Zaventorian, he knows all 97 Nintendo games, 32 bits or less, do the math! And Andrew actually collecting Engage O, Ben Parker, a bad enough dude to rescue the president, Chesno, all your base are belong to him, Colby, he is Sinistar, Corhagen does what Nintendo don't, Daniel McArdle, who thought this was the Retronauts Patreon, the modern database, Danny Gomez, the philatelist dork overlord, my childhood PlayStation idol, game-rave.com, he is 8-bit, John Brown, like, like I am, I don't know. Joseph Rogers got 50,000 on Double Dragon, collector of everything, including Atari, Kalen McAteer, video game console modding guy, MP3, Sam, Sega Mark III, Marks, Sean, the video game Illuminati LaCroix, and Hedgemon of the Geek Empire, and guy who listens to the LJM podcast, Valdor the Great. Thank you guys so much.